We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. My name is Brian Driscoll. I'm the publisher at irishbreakdown.com, and I have some very good news for all of you Notre Dame, Notre Dame fans. I am not doing a solo show today. Vince ah! is back with us. <laughs> so Vince literally just got home from vacation like, what, 30 minutes ago? Yes, 30 minutes Quickly ago. Quickly unloaded the car and got set up. And because uh, he is fired up to be part of the Friday free for all, Vince. It's Friday so, mailbag, baby. Best day of the week. Yeah, it is. It is. And we are, I mean, we have questions in the queue almost from for the last couple hours. <laughs> yes. So uh, one of the topics I wanted to talk about to kick off the show, Vince, is the first question. So let's dive okay. right in. Let's get rocking right. and rolling. From 2007, Domer. Brian, do you read anything into Anderson committing to Oregon? I did see that, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that you weren't high on him, but the staff missing on another offensive skill position player that they wanted can't be a great sign. Good point there at the end. Yeah, there, there's two ways I read this, Vince. Number one is there's a chance this staff is going to back their way into a great receiver class. <laughs> <And> accidentally. You're right. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? You know, And that's the first thing I thought of when I saw that he committed to Oregon was like, they might accidentally get the class that Brian has been talking yeah. about for the last two months. <laughs> I mean, accidentally know? meaning like with Xavier and Bradshaw. I mean, they've got right. to work to get Tobias Merriweather and sure, sure, and CJ Williams. But you know, to to the question, Domer, there's two thoughts. Is number one, whether I was high on him or not, is is really not the point here. It's the staff was high on him. Right, they wanted him. They thought they were going to get him to the point. Based on the intel I got back, I had commit story in the class impact story ready, written, ready to yeah, go. Right. I mean, he had told him, I'm coming. I'm you know, just going to take this last visit to Oregon. Hmm. And here we are. I mean, that that that's the deal. And this has been happening a lot at receiver. Now, look, we think they're going to get Tobias Merriweather. We think they're going to get C.J. Williams. But I was more optimistic they were going to get Nicholas Anderson than I was they were going to get Tobias Merriweather. Any of those. Yeah, right, right, right. <clears throat> so I, I, C.J. Williams is a little bit of a different deal. But – you know, it's concerning because they missed on Tyler Morris, who also a guy I wasn't super high on. They missed on um, Caden Saunders, someone who I am higher on. They missed on now Nicholas Anderson. They didn't, they're not putting any attention on Xavion Bradshaw. They made almost no effort to get Caleb Brown. 
and you look at it and say, it's it's a head scratcher. Mm-hmm. What's going on when it comes to offensive recruiting right now, especially at the receiver position? Now, I wrote on IrishBreakdown.com today that there's there's a lot, some things to be concerned about when it comes to receiver recruiting with all these misses. However, mm-hmm. before we lose our minds and be like this is terrible and this this offensive staff can't recruit, okay, let's as I said last year at running back when they missed Will Shipley, let's see what the finish line looks like first. Sure. Because, you know, there's still guys on the board. They have the A.O. Menor kid from Canada who, from last I read, uh, I believe he's leaning to Stanford. I haven't got confirmation of that. That's just something that I read, I believe, at 247 Sports from one of their national writers. So, I, you know, that's – I actually liked him upside-wise more than Anderson, even though Anderson's more of a, a ready-made player. You know, so he's another guy you look, but again, it's the same issue you had with Anderson. They're they're all kind of the same guy, right? And then after if they miss on him and he goes to Stanford, then what? Do you go to Joseph Griffin, the Boston College commit, another tall, vertically oriented player, or do they finally say, okay, let's go get Bradshaw? I do know there are some people at Notre Dame that like Xavion Bradshaw and some people that aren't as high on him. Hopefully, those people that are higher on him can finally step up and say, hey, look. It's time you get your head out of your you know what's and let's go get this kid, right? Well, it, it makes it easier when some of the kids that they wanted are right. going elsewhere, right? I mean, it makes it right. easier to be like, hey, remember this guy, like, let's go. Yeah. You yeah. know, the, the problem is, right, there's no more official visits because we are now in July, right? right. So there's no official visits in Which July. Which is okay because he can't take official – I don't think he took any official visits in July. Okay. I mean, I just don't think he's a kid that's really queued up into recruiting right now. Okay. Which could play to Notre Dame's benefit. And, and yeah. Vince, the next question from Corey D kind of fits along with this if we want to kind of get that in too. You know, and and, and – I, I do think that it's a situation and that kind of hits to the, the first point that I made about them, you know, backing into a, the, the kind of deal that you want. Let me read this real quick, just for our uh, podcast listeners. It says uh, I'm conflicted on Anderson signing with Oregon. Yes. It opens the door for Bradshaw and it creates the opportunity for more wide receiver diversity, but it's another recruiting loss for Notre Dame. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, and that's right where we're at. It's okay. Maybe that I didn't like this guy. They like this guy. They wanted this guy. They thought they were going to get this guy, and they lost him to Oregon. Right. That's a concern. And, sure. you know, Oregon's offensive coordinator, Joe Moorhead, and the receivers coach there was able to close on him, and Notre Dame's offensive coordinator and receivers coach was not able to close on him. So it's a it's a problem for me. And, and I sure. think there's a lot of things that factor into it. I, I You know, uh, you know my concerns about Coach Alexander, but I also think that when you look at the offense that Notre Dame played and the style of offense that they played, Notre Dame used to be an attractive offense for wide receivers. Now, and not so much, you, you know, I mean, sure. I, I don't know if you're a receiver and you watched last year's offense, if you're going to be like, man, I can't wait to play in that offense. So I think that hurts too. And that's why I've said many times that if coach Reese makes the changes that I, that I, that I hope he's going to make for more than and, one year. Right. Well, I mean, for this particular class, it only impacts, it only matters for right. this year, but to your point, as far as futurists, yes, right. yes, you're absolutely right. So I, you know, I, I, I what I don't like to do, Vince, is I don't like to make big overreactions to sure. one loss, especially when you still have Tobias Merriweather and C.J. Williams and Xavion Bradshaw on the board. Right? Because again, what was my dream class when I wrote it months ago? It was those three guys. Yeah. So the guys they're missing on are not necessarily guys that I wanted, but they're guys that they wanted. But it kind of leads to a bigger question, yeah. right? I mean, right. that's the whole so, issue. So so then here. the thing is, okay, well, the, can they close on those guys? Well, if they do, then none of this, you know, 
none of this is going to be really uh, as big of a point. Although I would say I still think it's something Brian Kelly needs to address because Notre Dame shouldn't be losing kids from Texas to Oregon that they, that they thought they were going to get. I mean, Notre Dame should be able to, to win some of these battles. They shouldn't be losing receivers. They wanted to Michigan. I mean, you say, well, Notre Dame's offense isn't overly attractive. Michigan's is. I was going to say, what about Michigan? It's attractive you know, offensively right now. <clears throat> so I think those are the things I look at, Vince. But I, I think we need to we need to uh, by rule. And again, this is me telling myself this as much as it is telling anyone else this is. I need to not make sure that we overreact too much to to one commitment, one way or the other. You know, and there's a there's an impressive board still out there. Now we got to find if we're closing. But I I do understand the angst because it's not just a couple guys at running back. And, and so like we were having this conversation at running back recently and somebody was like, well, you know, they're doing good there because they've got this guy, this guy, and this guy. And I said, well, my, my, my thoughts is you're Notre Dame. You, you should be able to get Logan Diggs when he didn't have an LSU offer, an Alabama offer, a Georgia offer, and those kind of guys right now. I think those schools missed and I like Logan Diggs. So it's a little different than the Nicholas Anderson thing. Cause I really like Logan Diggs and they got Audrick Estime, but they beat Michigan state to get Audrick Estime. And you got Jadarian Price, but you beat Texas when Texas was, you know, kind of scrambling a little bit, you know, for where they were as a program. So you look at it and say, okay, yeah, you're getting good players, but you're missing out on opportunities to get even better players. And that's my concern, Vince. And sure. you say, well, yeah, you got good players, but you're also missing on the top guys on your board consistently. And say, well, what about Chris Tyree? Okay, we've talked about this. Chris Tyree was basically – all but committed to Notre Dame. So, so he's they were his clear trapped. leader, yeah. goes to Oklahoma, and that's where he was decided to go, right? He had told Notre Dame staff that they'd lost him, and then Chip Long got involved. Then it was the conversations with Chip Long that got Chris Tyree back on board. And now that Chip Long's not there, you're not winning as many of those battles. And, and let's be honest, too. Logan Diggs has said in many interviews that Tommy Reese and Terry Joseph were the reason he picked Notre Dame, not – not Lance Taylor. And so you look and say the, the, the offensive line. Okay. Yeah. You got Blake Fisher and you got, okay. Yes, they did get those guys. You're Notre Dame. You're supposed to get some of those sure, guys. Exactly. But the problem is, is you're not getting enough of those guys from a depth standpoint. And at too many positions, you're missing on your top guys far too often. And that's the problem. We saw it at quarterback, right? I mean, so that's the thing is I need to see this kind of turnaround and it sure. can, you know it can, but they're going to have to close a lot, a lot yeah. better than they've started. So do you do you think? Um, and I, we like we want to get to this super chat in a second, but uh, do you think that it's a lack of an offensive uh, closer right now, or do you think Tommy Reese could develop into that guy? He's just not quite there yet. Well, you know, there? I've had a couple buddies of mine reach out, and they're they're like, "Oh, this just shows a Tommy," and I'm like, "Look, no, this isn't a Tommy Reese problem." All right, Tommy Reese has been an offense coordinator for one year, right? He has one year of 33 points a game, whatever the case may be, on his resume. He's and let's 28, be honest, 29 years old. Like that was, I don't know. That wasn't Tommy Reese's right. coordinator the way he envisions himself as a Right. And, and when Chip Long did what he did to get Chris Tyree, let's not forget that Chip Long had the 2017 season when they were, you know, won all those games. And then they had the 2018 season. So he had a little bit more under his belt. Sure. Plus he had, you know, the success they'd had at Memphis. And so you look at Tommy Reese and you say, why is this Tommy Reese's fault, right? He's right. been here one year. They have a head coach. They have an all, a receivers coach. They have a running backs coach. Why are we putting this all on Tommy Reese? And 
the 29-year-old offensive coordinator with one year of experience shouldn't be the guy that has to go close with all these players. Exactly. Right? Agreed. I mean, what are you paying these other guys? Okay, fine. We'll put it all on Tommy Reese's shoulders and take 60, no, take 40% of each of the salaries of the offensive coaches on uh, Notre Dame and give that to Tommy Reese since he's having to do so much of their job. Right. Right now, being a coordinator, it does fall on you at the end of the day. You have to be able to get that job done, but you shouldn't ask Tommy Reese with the circumstance I've just said to do that. Now, a year from now, when he's got another year of offense under his belt, if things go the way that they want, then his name is going to carry a little bit more weight. But sure. you look at his resume, for example, and you look at Joe Moorhead's resume. And now let's let's just, for the sake of argument, agree that you and I both think he's a much better coordinator than Joe Moorhead, for the sake of argument. For the okay? sake of argument, fair enough. It doesn't matter what you and I think. It's going to be like, look at the resume. Joe Moorhead, you know, what he did at Penn State and – you know, he's been a head coach in the SEC and all these other kind of things. And Tommy Reese has been an offensive coordinator for a year. Right. And so those are the things that that he's kind of fighting an uphill battle, which is going to happen until he gets a little bit more seasoning. But from everything, I'm, he's the one putting in the work. Right. Absolutely. It's not Tommy Reese. That's, you know, it, it, it can't. It, this It's what we've been saying for years. It's, it's not a coincidence that as soon as Mike Elston gets a defensive coordinator like Marcus Freeman, Notre Dame starts recruiting a defensive end at an elite level. You say, well, Marcus Freeman's reason for that. Well, yeah, kind of, because again, as I've said for years, it can't be one guy, right? It ha There's some positions where it can be one guy. Offensive line, it's about the O-line coach, plain and simple, right? But for most of these top players, it's you. it's got to be a team effort. We've talked about this, and that's why I've always said, hey, Brian Kelly has to be more involved. And so hopefully Coach Kelly looks at this and says, why are we missing on our top guys at running back? Why are we missing our top guys at receiver? Now, are we getting good players? Yes, but why are we missing on so many of the guys that we wanted? And it needs to be addressed, and hopefully it will be addressed. But this isn't like, oh, Tommy Reese has got to, you know, he's a failure and he shouldn't have done this. And I, I mean, I, maybe that ends up being true in the end of the day, but I don't think that's the issue. And from from talking to recruits and from talking to my guys that were hiring to talk to recruits and talking to other people that know these recruits, part of the reason they're even in the game with a lot of these kids is Tommy Reese. And and so that's kind of where I'm coming from from that. And I know we had a super chat to get to. We do. Do you want to go down and grab it, or do you want me to? Because I'll lose what I got up top. Yeah. Patrick Barnes says, how much do you think Notre Dame's loaded running back room affects some college choices made by some running back prospects this year? I don't think it affects it that much, to be honest with you. I mean, as much as I like Logan Diggs and Audric Estime, for example, you look at the freshman running backs that Ohio State has right now, Travion Henderson and Evan Pryor, both rank higher, way higher than the two guys that Notre Dame got, right? Mm -hmm. The two guys that Notre Dame got were a three-star and a, a four-star top 200 guy. Now, I don't think Logan Diggs is a three-star. Everybody knows that. I love the kid. But you're no one's going to look at Notre Dame and say, well, gee, Travion Henderson is a, as a five-star freshman. Evan Pryor is a top 100 player. But I'm more worried about that Notre Dame depth chart. It's not the case. Now, are there some kids where that could be a final deciding factor? So maybe Nicholas Singleton's in a situation, to Patrick's question, let's just hi a hypothetical here. Let's say Nicholas Singleton is really torn. Like, I like some things about Notre Dame. I like some things about Penn State. Man, I'm just really torn. I'm 50-50. I'm not sure which way to go. Could the depth chart or the opportunity to, to step into an immediate role be the deciding factor? Sure. And, and that's be. that makes yeah. total sense. I mean, I'd have, I'd, I'd have no problem with that. But I, I don't think it's a situation, Patrick, where – a kid liked Notre Dame, wanted to go to Notre Dame, sees the depth chart, and he's like, oh, no, no hard pass. So so I think there's there's a there's some validity to the question, but I don't think it's the it's the end all be all or even a top decision maker for the guys that Notre Dame missed. Are there players like that? Of course. But the three guys that that we're talking about that Notre Dame went for and lost, 
I don't think that was an issue, especially when you consider where where they went. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Brian, we've got uh, AJ's got basically comments, but we can we can okay. discuss those comments. So I'm yeah, going to fire through it. about four of these. Yeah. Uh, while defensive recruiting has been great, it's frustrating that offensive recruiting is not on the same level, especially since college football has transformed into an offensive driven game. I believe in 2021 that a team with a great offense and a solid defense is more likely to win a championship than a team with a great defense and a solid offense. It feels as though Notre Dame is still behind in that regard. Notre Dame is closing the gap on defense, but if the offensive recruiting and offense in general doesn't take that next step, I feel as though the program as a whole will be stuck in that B tier. And finally, my apologies if I got the show off to a negative start. I know this is Vince's favorite day. <laughs> we'll bring it back to some positives. There's plenty of things to talk about. But, uh, Vince, did you want to take a shot at this one first? Well, no, I tell you what, I, I am right with where AJ is. Uh, I do believe that the game in 2021 is geared more toward an offensive game. And, and you and I have talked about it many, many times. You need a good defense. You do. And defense can get you to where you want to be, but you have to have an offense to win a championship. Because, look, I don't think anybody's going to deny that Notre Dame's defense has gotten, gotten them to the Final Four. It has. Mm -hmm. It's gotten them to undefeated regular seasons. It's done the things that it needs to do to get Notre Dame to... And it was good enough to win a championship in 2018. I don't think it was the other two years. Fair enough. 17, 19, and 20. But in 18, it was good enough to win a championship with a better offense. But please... But yeah, and and that's my exact point. Once you get to the Final Four, look, defense is great, and you need a defense, but you need an offense to score points you absolutely do because you're going to be going up against offenses that can score points and it doesn't matter how great your defense is you're going to get scored on and so you need an offense that you can trust is going to put points on the board and Notre Dame just hasn't had that in their final four appearances up to this point I feel like for example the Clemson game uh was at 2018 you know Mm -hmm. Notre Dame's defense kept them in that game right but then when they had an injury to Julian Love then you know some points got scored but Notre Dame just couldn't answer offensively. They just couldn't. And it's not like Clemson ran away with it. They ended up, I mean, it ended up being a runaway. But if Notre Dame could have put points on the board, they had opportunities to put points on the board. If they would have done that, that game's completely different. And so that 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 is where I agree with AJ. And it does start at the recruiting level. Yeah, it, it starts at recruiting. And, you know, but here's the thing, though. Brian Kelly has said in the past, and this is true, that offense can be created 
beyond your talent level, overall talent level. Yes. You can scheme your way into success on offense. So I don't think they necessarily need, and this is why I've been so adamant about, you know, adjusting the offensive system. It is more important to recruit elite players on defense than it is on offense. And they're doing that. And they are doing that. And I would also contend that, 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 that we can't just dismiss how important it is that the defense needed an even bigger boost in talent than the offense did. It, it, it did, especially after a couple down years in recruiting. And they're not done yet. They got to look, there's some clothes in the defense has to do too. It's safety and corner and, and things like that. So, you know, the defense is still, but there's just an automatic confidence that they're going to get the job done because of the, the what they've shown so far. Where in the offense, even though there's some really good players on the board, there's not the same confidence they're going to be able to close on that, those players. Sure. The defense has to get better because, yes, you're not going to win games 17 to 14, but but having an elite defense is the difference between you giving up 30 points in a game, which Notre Dame did in 2018 to Clemson, or you giving up 48 points in a game. And, and that's sure. the difference. And I've said this before. Alabama only scored 31 points this year, and the defense did some nice things in the second half. But if we're being honest, Alabama called off the dogs. They, they flat out did. No I mean, question. they were not playing starters in the fourth quarter. I mean, they could have put another at least 10 points on the board against this defense. And so the defense has to get better. Offensively, I think if the talent level stays the same as it has been in recent seasons, but they make schematic changes, that's going to give them an extra touchdown in, in, in points. That's what I believe. I don't think the talent on offense is bad. And I think the problem that we're having is if the defense wasn't doing what it is doing, then I don't think people would be as upset about what's going on on offense. Sure. Right. Yeah. And now that's not an excuse or justification. It's just that let's, let's also not forget that that's part of the reason that people are so fired up about the offense is because look what they're doing on defense. And if yeah. only they if could only do that we on had offense, an right? match. Yes. And right. that's fair. And that's a fair criticism. My point, however, is that, I don't think they necessarily need elite, elite players like running back, for example. Is it a problem that they're going to miss on those three running backs? It's a problem from the standpoint of they have a running backs coach who has failed to be able to close on his top candidates. I mean, he, he just is. I also am not someone who believes that you need elite running backs to have an elite offense. Having said that, if you're not going to have that, you better have a great scheme and you better have a great offensive line and you exactly. better have a great quarterback. And so there's 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 issues there. But if they make the scheme changes, then Tommy Reese is going to be able to overcome not having the Alabama receiving core, right, or the LSU receiving core. I also think it's incredibly important for Notre Dame to have an elite defense because even if Notre Dame makes the changes they're going to make, I don't see Notre Dame ever being a 48-49 point-per-game team like Bama and Clemson. That's just not where they're, in my opinion, going to be schematically, the kind of personnel they can recruit. I just – I don't see them getting there. So it's even more important that defensively they're even better than those teams. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so that, that is some count, some counterweight there that we have to consider. I think that the the key now on offense is, okay, it's time to regroup. It's time to close. You're hitting that dead period. Fall camp's coming up here in a, in a little over a month. You've got some time to kind of figure out. We, we, you know, so Mike Elson needs to sit down with Brian Kelly and the offensive staff and be like, okay, where are we going with this? And what can we do to help? You know, the head coach, the recruiting coordinator, what can we do to help? And maybe sit down and have some conversations about uh, sort of how how do we get this thing back on track? And, and, you know, so so there's time to regroup. And this is what I kind of say is like, yes, let's be critical of what's going on because it is problematic. We shouldn't put our heads in the sand and be like, no, it's okay. There's still all these guys on the board because if you can't close on these guys, what makes you think you're going to close on every single one of those other guys? 
and that's the issue. So uh, it's it's a it's concerning. It's something that has to be addressed and fixed. But it's also not the end of the world type of thing that some of my my friends and some of the things I'm seeing on Twitter. It, 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 we're right back to where we always are when something bad happens in Notre Dame. There's the, there's the group that's like wants to make every excuse in the world. And, you know, it's like one guy was like, well, they got Chris Tyree and they got Xavier Watts. And they got Blake Fisher. And oh, so coaches at Notre Dame didn't get only bad players. Oh, gee, let's give them a pay raise. Right. Like, of course, you're going to get some good players. But the fact that you had to go back three years to to talk about the players they're getting three classes of 21, 22, 21 and 20 is kind of problematic. Right. You don't realize that you're making my point for me. Right. You know, whereas Alabama or Ohio State or Clemson could just point to the current class or the most recent class or things like that. And that that's where that's where it gets a little bit problematic. We have to be able to admit that there's a there's there's a problem here in regards to the standard being championships. As I said in the show yesterday, Vince, and, and you, you didn't get a chance to hear it, but there are about 120 teams that would love to have Notre Dame's offensive talent and offensive recruiting class right now, right? At least 120. You could maybe even say 123 or 124, but no name's not trying to recruit and shouldn't, shouldn't be trying to recruit those beat to beat those 126 teams or 24 teams anymore. They're trying, they need to be able to recruit to beat Bama and Clemson and Ohio state and Oklahoma and Georgia. Right. Right. That's where they need to be recruiting. And offensively, they're just not recruiting to that level. But again, there are the guys on the board that if they can regroup, if they can kind of, you know, change focus and finish strong, then they're going to be okay. And sometimes it takes this kind of adversity and these kind of misses to make a staff sit down and say, okay, we're doing something wrong. We got to fix it. I've had to do that, right? I've had recruiting misses where I'm like, hey, you know what? Why did we just strike out on those three receivers we wanted, right? So what are we doing wrong? Or from an evaluation standpoint, why did I miss in this class on so many of the receivers that, you know, based on my grades, and you have to be able to look and say, okay, here's here's what I was doing wrong. Here's where I was missing. I was overvaluing this or undervaluing this, or I was reading this wrong, or we weren't taking advantage of this. All these different things, you regroup and you come out of it an even stronger recruiting operation. That's the key. That's what I'm focusing on. Okay, they, they have these misses. It is what it is. You can't change that. What you can change is what is your going to game plan from here on out? And 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 we'll have some more questions about the receiver position. So I'll kind of get into those any more of that as we answer more of these questions. We had a super chat, Brian. You want to go down and grab that one? Sure. Thank you. John A1, welcome back, Vince. I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna read this so you can answer, Vince. Uh, if Buckner or Pine pan out and get developed with Notre Dame's defense behind them, can one carry the offense to a championship level? I, I think both of them can. I, agree. I, I really do. And it especially um, if the offense develops the way we think it is or the way we hope that it will continue in the future, uh, those either one of those guys can easily uh, lead that train. There, there is no question in my mind. I, I, I'm high on, on Drew Pine as well. Look, look Tyler Buckner has more um, you know, of the ready-made skill, I guess, that you're looking for. But I, I have full faith that, that Pine could, could do whatever he needs to do to make the team a championship team I, I have no doubt in my mind either one of those guys inserted into this offense the way we think it's going to go this year and hopefully beyond can take this team to a championship no question in my mind I, I will I agree completely I think both are capable of it I, I think there's one difference however and and it ties into what we're just ta- what we we're just talking about and that is if Tyler Buckner is who we think he is mm-hmm. he elevates everyone around him Facts. I think 
Trevor Lawrence did that. I think Justin Fields became that kind of guy as he got older. I think that's what the best quarterbacks do. They elevate the people around them. Lamar Jackson did that at Louisville. Tyler Buckner can be that. So you can have an elite offense without necessarily elite weapons around him. If You you just have to have pretty good weapons. And sure. if you look at the future of Notre Dame football and you've got Xavier Watts, Lorenzo Styles, Deion Colsey, Amorian Walker, and let's just say they get one of C.J. Williams and Tobias Merriweather, and then they get some plan B guy, right, even if that's all they do. But they're also going to have Chris Tyree for a year with that group at least. They're going to have Michael Mayer for at least a year with that group. Then you've got the, the last year signees, Kane Barong, Mitchell Evans. You've got this group this group of tight ends uh, and, and Eli Raritan and Holden Stace. And all of a sudden you say, you know, is it elite talent? No. Is it a lot of good talent? Yes. And then if you have an elite quarterback, yeah, you can win a championship with that. If Drew Pine is the quarterback, all I would say is, is it's going to because he's not the individual playmaker that Tyler Buckner is. There's more of a need for a little bit of a higher level type of player. Now, Xavier Watts, Lorenzo Styles, Deion Colsey, Michael Mayer, Chris Tyree, Kyron Williams. As far as like looking forward, can they be those kind of guys? Yes, they can. The problem is, is if you don't recruit better that margin for error becomes more thin. And if sure. there's an injury to Deion Colsey, then all of a sudden your receiver depth chart looks a whole lot different. Or Lorenzo Styles, or if, you know, if, if Audric Estime or Logan Digg. You, you, so you're, you've got such a small margin for error when you don't recruit consistently year after year after year. And that's what the people who want to say, well, they got this one guy or that one guy missed the boat. Well, they got Blake Fish and Rock. Well, what if Blake gets hurt? Right. What if, what if somebody gets hurt? Like if you don't recruit, that's why tight end, it's like, yeah, if you lose Michael Mayer, that's devastating because he's your best offensive player, but they're still going to be pretty good there because of the way that they recruited. You can't necessarily say that about other positions on the football team. There's been years where just one injury to a guy like Tony Jones Jr. devastated the running back room. And, and so that, that, that's, the, that's the thing is where, where Buckner you can win a championship with. To me, I, I, I think Aaron Drew Pine to me, excuse me, I meant to say Drew Pine. Drew Pine, to me, is a better version of Aaron Murray from Georgia. That's what I think Drew Pine can be. And Aaron Murray was a guy that if you could give him a little bit better talent, he would have been even more successful. And I think Drew Pine can be better than that. Tyler Buckner, to me, if he reaches his full potential, is a is a, a guy that just kind of makes everyone else better because you have to so much key on him as a legitimate weapon. And so that is the one thing I'll say is, is, is that's how the current recruiting situations kind of impact – which quarterback has the best chance to lead a team to a title. I like it. I agree. Okay. Tony says, so with not getting Anderson, is it a full court press on Merriweather and Williams and maybe start showing a little more interest in your guy, Brian? Well, the first two that's already happening. I mean, they're already putting the full court press on those two guys that, and, and here's the thing why, why I want to say, okay, I get that the Anderson loss is, is an issue, more so from what it represents as opposed to just him as a player. But the number one and number two receivers on their board are still out there. And Notre Dame is at the at worst the co-leader for both of them, at worst. But again, they were also the leader for Nicholas Anderson for a long time. So it's about closing. But those two guys are all have the, the full court press has been placed on those guys for a while now. Do I do I hope that this means they start showing more interest in Xavion Bradshaw? Yes. Do I think it will? Unfortunately, no. I just I don't have that kind of faith in the wide receivers coach that make me think he's going to kind of all of a sudden wake up and go make that change. But I hope he does. 
And I, I did not read that next one, Vince. I have not seen that article yet. So um, Alex's okay. question, we can we can pass that one. Uh, Alex, no disrespect. I just I have not read it yet, so uh, I don't want to want to get into it. Tony says a fun question. In, in 2012, Ohio State was undefeated in Myers' first season, but they were ineligible for a bowl game. Do you think Notre Dame could have beat Ohio State if they played them in the title game instead of Alabama? I do. Yeah, I, I think that was a time when I didn't really think much of the Big Ten, to be completely honest with you. I think you had you had Ohio State and you had you had um, Michigan State at the time, and you know that Ohio State team to me wasn't a, a, a really great team. You know, you look at that season and they they beat UCF by fifteen, they beat Cal by a touchdown, they beat UAB by two touchdowns. Um, neither of those teams, n- none of those teams were really all that good that year. Uh, Cal was three and nine. They beat Michigan state by a point. Michigan state wasn't that good that year. They beat Nebraska, Indiana, Purdue by a touchdown, Penn state by 12. That was during the, the, I believe the Bill O'Brien rebuilding type of period where they were dealing with all the sanctions. They beat Wisconsin by a touchdown and then beat Michigan by five. You know, that, that wasn't a great Ohio State team. They had a great quarterback, a, a really dynamic quarterback, but they weren't that, – that was not a great Ohio State football team. I absolutely think Notre Dame could have could have beat them. Also, partly because I think Notre Dame would have scored on them. If you look at Ohio State that year on defense, they gave up 28 points to Cal, 38 to Nebraska, 49 to Indiana, 22 to Purdue, 23 to Penn State, 22 to Illinois, 21 to Michigan. The Michigan team that scored six points against Notre Dame. So I think Notre Dame would have scored on the team. I, I do. And again, let's let's also, if we're going to do hypotheticals, let's also work with the hypothetical that that team wasn't dealing with the off the field stuff of regarding Manti's Manti's situation as well. So, um, Ronald T'Challa, welcome. Thank you for that super chat. Oh, yeah. man. That is that is awesome. And he Thanks, also has a, he also has a comment here for you, Vince. Okay. Now, welcome back, Vinny. Uh, my cousin Vinny. Uh, <laughs> Ronald had a little. I, did I tell you about that, Vince? Did yeah. I tell you that Ronald called you my cousin Vinny? I, I love, love it. it. Um, time to partay. Oh, got a little necessary roughness, a little Sinbad joke in there. Someone's mom is in trouble tonight. Let's get some kids on offense just saying, by the way, call me Ron. Okay, Ron. We can do ready. that. We're ready to rock and roll, man. That's so awesome. Appreciate the super chat very, very much. No doubt. All right. But I, I like Tony's hypothetical. I, I I don't think that was a great Ohio State team. And and I think we saw it the next year when they when they finally played a couple good teams late in the year. You know, that Michigan State team in 2013. Remember, Michigan State in 2012 was supposed to be good. When Notre Dame beat them at the beginning of the year, they were ranked in the top 10. They ended up going 7-6 and that year. That next year, you had that really good Michigan State team that Notre Dame beat, by the way, the only team that beat Michigan State that year. They beat Ohio State in the Big Ten title game that next year when they were eligible for the postseason. And then they went and played Taj Boyd and Clemson in the Orange Bowl, got beat in that game too. So that was really – Ohio State didn't take off really under Meyer, like really take off. Like they were a title contender until the second half of the 2014 season. Because remember, they got smacked by Virginia Tech at the beginning of that year. And that loss was kind of like the way that team re- responded to that loss and built from that loss. And you also – he had fired Everett Withers, the defensive coordinator the year before. So the Chris Ash defense started to finally get rolling. That that second half of that 2014 team season is when Ohio State really, in my opinion, took off as a program. Okay, back to the top. Domer, Texas, 22. Drew Aller looked like a man in the Elite 11. I'd like to trust Tommy, but the offensive staff's recruiting decision-making is offensive. 
Okay, so I had someone ask me about this, Vincent, and and okay. if I'm gonna have if I'm gonna be fair and consistent, then my response to that is I don't care what he did at the Elite Eleven, and I don't because if 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 he was there and he wasn't playing well. We wouldn't use that as well. See, look, he's not playing well in pads, so Tommy Reese knew what he was doing. I would, I would argue against that. I'd say that's a bad way of looking at it, and that's also not where my opinion of him came from. Then I also don't want to look at it and say, well, because he is doing well, it proves my point, right? I care about what kids do in pads. Trust me, I was a lot more comfortable going through reads and seven on sevens than I was when there was defenders that were trying to hit me. Yeah, okay? when there was no offensive line, no defensive right. line, right? Yeah. It's, it's seven on seven is such a different deal. And this isn't even seven on seven. This is just drills and stuff like that. Right. And so I, you know, he's got tremendous tools. I do think that was a mistake. I, I also understand a little bit of what Notre Dame, what some of the issues Notre Dame had. He was a kid that barely completed 50% of his passes as a junior in high school. Uh, if you watch his game film, he'll miss badly at times. But that to me, I always thought that's raw technical stuff that you can coach out of him. Sure. But, um, uh, you know, I just – I understand, but I think if you – you know, to me, the twenty, the 2023 board is what's really going to – is going to tell the difference. And Ron hit us up with another super chat, Ron. I appreciate that Ron. very, very much. He's just so happy to Vince is back, I think. Um, no no question about it. But, yeah, back to your question, Domer. I I just – I can't – I can't pick and choose when camps matter or don't matter to to for me, I mean, sure. you can, Domer, you can have whatever opinion you want, and some people do put more value in camp. So I'm not dismissing what you're saying. I'm saying for me, it would be very self-serving of me to look at what Drew Aller is doing. Number one, to get to the Elite Eleven because he obviously dominated at a regional to get invited here, uh, which Notre Dame's current commit did not get invited to this, and then he's dominating down there. It'd be very, it'd be very self-serving of me to say, "See, I was hmm. right. Look what he's doing." But I've also said I don't care what kids do at camps, right? And so the the talent that you're seeing at the Elite Eleven, it was already there. I saw it on film and in in situations where it matters a whole lot more to me. But sure. I, I mean, I I can I'm sympathetic to this point of view. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to be fair with this one. No, there's things there's things that you can see at a camp setting, but there's also things that you can't see in a, at a camp setting. I mean, that there's. I'm sure you have seen many uh, seven-on-seven All-Americans that oh, once yeah. you put pads on them, they were garbage. Yeah, garbage. half-speed heroes is what we like to call them. You yeah, know what I mean? They're just not good. And yeah, practice All-Americans is not what right. you're looking for. It's one thing to play slot and shake a guy in the open field in a seven-on-seven. Make seven, a diving thing. catch over the middle of the field when you know right. they can't hit you. Exactly. And there's another thing to ask a, a slot to go block a linebacker yeah. and – <laughs> you know what I or mean? Like catch a pass when you know dude's about to lay you out. Yeah, you know? there's so many times I've seen it from a quarterback standpoint, from a wide receiver standpoint, you name it, um, where it just didn't translate. But mm. again, there are things that you can see. You can see, you know, arm angles. You can see, you know, release points. You know, things of that nature. When we're talking about quarterbacks, you can see route running from a wide receiver position. You know, things of that nature. Yes, it is beneficial. And frankly, I enjoyed going to seven on sevens. Because I like to see my guys compete. And there are things you can learn from yes. a seven-on-seven. Seven. I mean, there are. it is an evaluation tool. It's just not it a tool that I'm going thing. to over over put yes. more. You know, hey, look, I saw this kid flip his hips, right? Uh, I saw this kid show me agility that he didn't see on film. That's something that translates. So it's not about necessarily the success that a kid has. Or I may say, hey, look, this kid, as a quarterback, this kid played in an offense that didn't ask him to throw the ball beyond 15 yards in a game, right? 
Uh, so at a seven on seven, okay, I get to see or to, or to camp like this, I get to see him drop back and spin it deep. Okay, you know what? Physically, he has the arm. That's part of my evaluation sure. tool. No question about it. Thomas Walsh hits us up. Vince, people are fired up that you are back, man. I'm sure that's look, the whole look, reason look why. It is. It is. <laughs> we weren't getting super chats like this when it was just me, man. Yeah, I love it. So Thomas. people Thank love you. people love Vince, man. I, and I, I I do too. So very happy to have you back. But yeah, thank you, Thomas. So so much. Thomas also has sent me a picture rocking some IB gear too. He actually had a hat on, had the yeah. IB mug. So, Thomas, we really appreciate you being part of this hey, family, man. I was rocking my IB gear out on vacation. I was in a different state. So, I, you know, a state that, uh, you know, doesn't look kindly on Notre Dame fans in mm -hmm. general. So, I mm -hmm. was rocking it proud, baby. Don't worry. Got to rep the brand. <laughs> Got to rep the brand. Okay. Um, We're back Joel, to Joel, right? Joel yes. Gallegos. Yes, yes, Joel Gallegos. Barring our O-line having a big setback this year, given the fluidity of the personnel we can use, do you see Williams and Tyree each being a thousand yard backs this year? We we had a question similar to this a few weeks ago, didn't we, Brian? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we, 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 we were talking about the production of the running back position. And I think we both kind of decided, look, we're not going to necessarily just focus on the ground numbers right. because we feel like which in fairness, Joel didn't actually say that is true. Yards. Well, if he didn't say just rushing yards, then I'm going right. to go with absolutely. Yes, yeah. I, I feel like they're both going to be 1,000-yard backs. Well, and they both had 1,000 yards last year if you take in all purpose, sure. including kick returns. But we're going to stick to just offense yes. for this one. I, and I still um, think it's going to yeah. be over 1,000 because yeah. I think they're both going to be very active in the passing game, even more so than last right. year, both of them. Um, and I think we're going to see them on the field both at the same time as well. So, um Again, I'm going to be looking at the combined receiving and rushing yardage at the end of the day and see mm -hmm. what that looks like because they're going to be used in both ways right. and they're both going to be effective in that way as well. For me, I think the the type of offense Notre Dame is going to employ, and that includes the change that we think Tom Reese is going to make. And this is not a criticism because there are plenty of teams that this is true of. The offense that Notre Dame is going to employ is is not like the offenses we've seen that have had multiple running backs go over a thousand yards. So I think sure. back to Oklahoma back in 08 when they had uh DeMarco Murray and who was the other thousand yard running back? Chris Brown. Remember back back to I Sam do. Bradford? But that was an up tempo snaps, volume, explosive type of offense. And so you look at North Carolina last year, you know, those backs both averaged over seven yards a carry because it was that RPO, like heavy RPO based, right. up tempo air raid type of offense. I don't think Notre Dame's going to play with the tempo that you would need to play with to have 2,000-yard running backs from a rushing standpoint. I do agree with Vince that I think that we will see both of them get to 1,000 yards, including postseason, uh, in total offense, or at least they should, barring sure. injury and, yeah. and proper usage. I think they will get to that point. But uh, I just don't know if Notre Dame's going to be able to have that. Having said that, I still have argued in the past, Vince, that if Jonas Gray doesn't get hurt against Boston College in 2011, there's a chance that Notre Dame would have had 2,000-yard running backs in 2011. A chance, but uh, it's just it's going to be it's going to be uh, it's going to be tough just because of the type of offense. But that doesn't mean that they won't both play great or be used correctly. They could both be used exactly how Tommy Reese should use them, and both and, and Notre Dame can have an elite offense, and they still both don't get to 1,000 yards rushing. Right, so I just want to make clure sure. that's not a criticism. It's just uh, Alabama's offense isn't like that, where mm -hmm. 
they're not going to have 2,000 yard running backs because there's more passing and and just they don't run a million snaps and things like that. So it's not a criticism, just more of a more of an, uh, a reality of it. John A1 coming back again. Double chat. It's been stated that Dell Alexander has done well in other places. Notre Dame brings such a big playbook that's difficult for young receivers. If Notre Dame simplified things, would you expect him to do better? Uh, I want to speak on that, Vince, because yeah. one thing that I have said before is I think there are things Coach Alexander's not doing a good enough job with. Having said that, I, I do think that as we've talked about before, this isn't an issue that's new to Dell. This isn't right. like where freshman receivers were playing the first six years of uh, seven years at Notre Dame, and then when he shows up, they're not playing anymore. This has been a problem for years. That's a program problem, not Correct. a position coach problem. Correct. In the years that they have played young players, it, it has been more out of necessity mm-hmm. than necessarily a desire to play young players. And, and so, yeah, that's that's been a problem for a while in, in, in that regards to where you just see these young guys – and it's it's that you hear them talk about it when they're juniors and seniors about how complex the system was. And I just feel like if you just watch college football, that's just not what other teams are doing that are successful. This is college. People say, well, you know, you're Notre Dame, you got smarter kids. Yeah, smarter kids who have to do more academic work than right. you know, based on this the stereotype that have to do more academic work. So at Notre Dame, it's even more reason to simplify things because of the demands that they have away from the football field. And now you throw in this NIL stuff where these kids are going to be doing advertising and all this other kind of stuff. If you haven't realized now that you need to take some of that offensive volume and complexity burden off of them and put maybe some of that on the quarterback. So again, you're running your route. You guys are blocking for the run. It's the quarterback that has to decide whether he's pulling and throwing Mm -hmm. it or handing it off. Right. The guy that's in the meeting room with the offensive coordinator. So, yeah, there are things they have to do, John, to your question. They have to simplify the offense. That doesn't mean you have four routes, right? Doesn't mean that at all. There still has to be some level of complexity to this for a place like Notre Dame. But you need to to really pare down the volume. And more so from just a volume standpoint, they need to pare down the the requirements of receivers to know multiple different things based on one call. Right. That to me more than anything needs to get pared down. Now that's great stuff for the NFL, and and you know the stuff Tommy Reese is doing is going to impress NFL teams. But if the goal is to win championships in college, look, I I get that you have a philosophy. It's the philosophy that you got from your from your head coach who you played for. Uh, it's an it's a philosophy you saw when you were in the NFL. But it's not a philosophy that teams that are winning championships employ. It just isn't. I mean, if you look at Alabama, they run some really complex stuff, but it's not a high volume of it. And they use they do things more of alignments and personnel, and they'll put Devontae Smith all over the field. He'll be boundary. He'll be field. He'll be in the slot. And move him around. Do all types yeah. of things like that, you know. Uh, and then the RPO package is off of it. So it's it's not as complex as, as some other teams do. But then again, Alabama can get away with certain things that other teams can't because they're just so much more talented than everybody else from that standpoint. So – I, I do think there are things that they 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 need to adjust in that regards. We had another super chat, man. David Knight, my man, love it. I, I can't tell you how how appreciative we are from all of you for all for just the generosity kidding. you're all showing today. Just Blown you're gonna make away. Vince cry. Look at him; his eyes are all welling up. <laughs> David says, with respect to positional coaches, OC and head coach, how does the game day play calling and player sequence in? Uh, this is a great That's question. A really good Vince. question because it's different for yes. everybody. Uh, it just and and I, I don't mean to jump on you here, Brian. I, I, will, I, I will say it's different for everybody, and it it starts with the comfortability 
of the head coach. Okay. So how, what is he involved in? Right. So like I've played, I've coached for, uh, you know, offensive minded coaches who always have the offense in their ear because coaches can switch between offense and defense. And then I played for coaches that they're defense minded and they're not even paying attention to what the offense is doing within reason. Like they'll make the big calls. Like, are we going to go for it on fourth down? Are we going to go right. for two? You know, things of that nature. They're not telling you what you need over. to run on third. Hey, we got a third and short coming up. Make sure you guys are prepared right. for your third and short calls. Things like that. You're talking, exactly. what you mean by not involved is like, Hey guys, let's run this. Or what are we running here? Or what, you know, right. it, it's, it's those kind of things. Yeah. Cause it, look, a head coach is, is, generally at least the ones that i've been associated with they're going to hang on one side of the ball or the other they mm-hmm. they, they, they just are as far as being up for the headset you know you're going to mm-hmm. hang with the offense you're going to hang with the defense whatever um and so so i think it starts with the head coach then it starts with the offensive coordinator so is the offensive coordinator more comfortable on the field is he more comfortable in the box okay most are more comfortable in the box and i was a box guy i was a box guy too uh, unless you've got somebody up there that you really trust and is looking at the field right. the way you look at the field. For example, I'd be more comfortable if I was coaching high school. I'd be more comfortable calling plays from the sideline if Vince was – I'm not just saying this like if Vince right. is my receiver's coach because I know we see things the same way, we evaluate things the same way, or somebody like that. So, yep. But but even then, I still would – it would take some convincing because you know that's just how, how coordinators are. The other part about this too, Vince, is everybody has a defined – role on game day absolutely and it's not just in the the good staffs that i've been on it was you speak when it's your opportunity to speak and there were certain coaches so like when i was the pass game coordinator i knew when it was my time to speak up you know and and but even then it was like okay the head coach our head coach was our offensive coordinator duquesne for example when i was a pass game coordinator and it would be a thing where you know i would say hey after every snap hey coach here's what they're doing it's not Hey, coach, we should run Dolphins on the next player. We should run Bills. You know, those are play calls that we had. And Dolphins was our is our double post was our best play that year. It, it was that wasn't what it was. Hey, coach, uh, they're in two. Hey, they're rolling their boundary safety. It was giving him things that were my responsibility. And then the old line coach would say, Hey, they're slanting their front the last two snaps, or whatever the case may be. Like that's the communication. It's precise, it's telling him the information that he needs to go make a call. And it Correct. can't be like everybody giving their opinion. And then when it was a situation where we would all give our opinion, so I'll give you a perfect example. We were playing Iona College, this was when I was at Duquesne, and we got into a third and goal situation. We were up big. They were coming back a little bit, and we were in a situation where we were in a driver. We needed to score, and we, we they, I think they called timeout, and so it's third and goal from like the six, and Coach uh, Gattuso says, okay, what should we run? And he always started the running backs coach. He would then go to the quarterbacks coach. He would then go to the uh, or O-line coach, quarterback coach, running back coach, and he would always ask me. And the O-line coach would go, oh, we need to throw a fade to Michael. That's Michael Warfield, who was our best receiver. He was a stud. And and Dave, our QB coach, says, yeah, 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 we need to throw a fade to Michael. And then our running back coach is like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And he goes, he goes, Driscoll, what do you think? And I said, I think we should run a draw. And he goes, why do you say that? I said, because everyone in the stadium thinks we're going to throw a fade to Michael. Including <laughs> right? our staff. Right? <laughs> and so we ran a draw and he walks into the end zone, right? I mean, but that's that was part of like all of our communication. But that wasn't happening between snaps mm-hmm. unless it was asked. That was during a timeout. It was everybody's like, okay, I'm letting you know what the role is. I'm letting you. And then there's some coaches like, hey, I don't want to hear you tell me what they're doing until unless I ask you. Right. Because yeah, some coaches coach- can't handle yeah. it because it can get chaotic. Yes, And the, the coaching staff, the only coaching staff I was ever on that was not a good coaching staff was the last place I was at. And it was just like just everybody kind of talking, it was screaming, and just there was it was utter chaos. And then the head coach would get all flustered, and then you couldn't talk to him. And 
you know, it just was a, it was a hot mess, but every other good staff I've been on, everybody knew what their responsibilities were. Everybody knew what they were looking for. So if you were the running backs coach, you knew exactly, you were looking at like the linebacker level, for example, or something like that. It could be something else or, Hey, you're reading backside, right? If you're the G- offensive GA, you're looking at this. Mm-hmm. Hey, I need you to tell me what personnel. So then there'd be a coach that'd be like a personnel coach, right? So anytime that they would sub out, the first person that makes a comment that had to the play caller is, "Hey, they're 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 going nickel. Hey, they're 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 going bear, or hey, they're going dime, or hey, they're back in the base. Hey, they put in that linebacker that we said when he gets on the field, we're running a wheel route to our running back. The first snap he gets on, you know what I mean? Things like that." There's that communication has to happen first, and then it's kind of like it falls into place. So that is a great question, but it it has to be in sync. It has everybody's on the same page. Everybody knows yes. what they're doing, and people need to know. And sometimes you'll get in a game, and it'll be chaotic, and somebody has to say, everyone shut the up. You know what I mean? Like, be quiet. We, <laughs> yeah. I got this, right? Yeah. I and mean, you'll get into those because it's an intense thing for, for coaches too. And that's why I liked being up on the in the box because being up in the box, you're sort of removed from it. You There's can be more chaos. calm. Yeah. You can be, you know, whereas on well, the field, I, I like you to, know, it's, it's like to hundred miles an hour. I like to write stuff and I like to kind of keep track of what I've been doing. You know, mm-hmm. what's been working. I would have a guy sitting next to me that was writing down the play that we called, how many yards it gained, what defense it was that we played mm-hmm. did it against, you know, right. that kind of stuff. And you'll have a guy that will chart. It's called charting, yeah. right? You're, you're charting the plays. Um, and then you'll have other guys that are charting different things. And you can mm-hmm. say, Hey, Jim, what uh, you right. know, what has the linebacker done the last three plays? Yeah, you know, and you'll the- see that Notre Dame has guys charting on the field Absolutely. too. You'll see like that little guy that you don't know who he is, and he's like, you mm-hmm. know, he's got a head. He's like, you know, he's writing it down. But you need to be able to see that, like, oh, you know what? Like, man, we went through that last two series. We never called such and such play. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, God, what? You know, we we what, said what we're going to run this every series. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, okay, right. we got to get back to this. Um, and Notre Dame has about eight guys in the box. I mean, it's it's a good it's number a of guys up there, and they all have a specific role. Right. Now there are defensive and offensive guys up there, right? Right. So, but every guy has a role, and the G, like you said, the GAs are charting, you know, things of like that. And, and I think there should be more guys up in the box. I, I like the way. I mean, because you need uh, you're looking at the personnel because of how how fast everything works, especially if you're on the defensive side of the ball. You've got to have people that can see everything. Hey, they mm-hmm. just sub this. Hey, they just sub that. You don't want someone from the other side of the field because if you're on the side, on the field, especially with in big stadiums like you know like Division One teams have, and there's crowds and cheerleaders and all these you know people with passes and all this other kind of stuff, they can run and do it on the field. And if you're on, you don't see it, mm-hmm. you know. But if you're up in the box, you can look down. and say, okay, hey, they just subbed in their nickel, mm-hmm. you know, or hey, they just took their best def- edge rusher off, or hey, they just put took their best run defender off. Right. Hey, their corner just limped off the field. Which one? The boundary guy. All right, cool. We know where we're going the next play. Sure. You know, uh, those are the things that are also it's very, a chess very match. Important. It's a chess yes. match, and frankly, to me, that's one of the funnest parts it about is. football. That's coaching. the one. That's that, and just the relationships with the players. Yeah. Those are the two things that I miss about coaching, and that's yes. really about it. I feel like you and I could have a really long conversation about this, about game day and how things work. And yeah. that was a really good question, David. I, I appreciate yeah. that question a lot. Yeah. Uh, we're back okay. up here. Joel has another one. Yes, he does. Uh, Joel says uh, Freeman is every bit as advertised from a recruiting perspective. Going into Ohio and landing Vernon shows moxie. Our offensive staff better be taking notes. Hundred percent. Can't argue. Brian with that. Kelly needs to be taking notes. And, and yes. what I mean by that is, he's got to say, "Hey, look, this is what we're capable of. What are they doing over there that we're not doing on offense?" Mm-hmm. And figure and figure it out. That's what I meant by him sure. taking notes. Not Brian Kelly needs to be a better recruiter or anything like that. 
Jacob Staley says, I wonder if NIL had an impact with Anderson. How can a company like Nike impact recruiting with NIL? Like, what could they do in regards to this? I think it's kind of uh, wild, wild west at the moment. Yeah. I mean, there's right not now, a whole lot of restrictions. There's, there's none. There's none. <laughs> I don't know what state laws Oregon has passed, if any. Mm-hmm. That is the one thing. The states that have laws, you have to stand by the state law. But there's still no governing. I mean, the NCAA basically said we're not going to do anything about yes. this. Yes. They, they basically so, washed their hands of the whole right. thing. Like, hey, In- incredibly it. poor leadership. But yeah, I would imagine that's something that is going to help Oregon. I, I I mean, Phil Knight has been very involved in helping Oregon recruit before it was legal to do so. If we're being honest, <laughs> yeah, right. You know what I mean? Like, so I mean, I, you know, again, that's that's. I'm all for players making money off of their name, image, and likeness if there's genuine market value for that. What the the danger is, you get in a situation like this where Nike says, "Oh yeah, yeah, we'll give you X number of dollars simply because you're a stud recruit that they want to get." Right. That's where this is going to get really shady and dirty. And That's not that. market value. That's just saying, hey, I'm going to give you this because it's going to guarantee. And then we have a you know, we'll put you Nike. in some local commercial or something like that, or we'll do whatever this other thing. And we're going to pay you X number of tens of thousands or more to get you know here. And what's the rule that says you can't do that? Right. You know, it, it's absurd. I think we're going to see all kinds of, I don't want to use the word shady, but all kinds you of can. things going down that should not be going down when it comes to it. And they're going to hide behind the NIL. Like, oh, oh, it's okay. You know, we're using their name, image, and likeness. You know, I just, I, I see this going down the wrong path very mm-hmm. quickly. Uh, but, you know, I, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Uh, okay, next comment. Jared Voigt says, when a recruit has their visit canceled, i.e. Uh, Martinez, Cheeks, Bradshaw, how does that impact them generally? Does Notre Dame keep in contact with them? Or does the cancellation tell them they aren't a priority? Those are different circumstances. So the first two circumstances were that's and same with KJ Winston. That was Notre Dame's way of saying, hey, we're not we're not recruiting you anymore. So we're full here. We like where we're at. We don't want to waste one. And, and I respect that, by the way. Absolutely. You know, because they could have kept those kids on the board just in case they miss somebody. And then that kid wastes an official visit with a program that has no intention of recruiting yeah. him. So the uh, props to Notre Dame for doing that. The Xavion Bradshaw one is a completely different situation. They didn't cancel his visit per, per, as much as it was just a, it was thrown together way too fast. There was not great communication between the two parties to make sure it all worked. And it was just like, a, Hey, this is too rushed. We're not on the same page. Let's, let's wait. Let's wait till we get to the fall. So it, that to me is more from what my understanding is that it was more that he was on vacation during part mm-hmm. of it. And it just, it was more of that kind of cluster. And, and again, I don't think he took a single official visit the entire summer. And I think that when you told me that, that really kind of changed my opinion about them moving his visit to the fall, because yeah. it doesn't sound like he's all in on recruiting right now. Right. And that's okay. I mean, every right. kid is different. You have to read the room, right? You have to know right. kind of where this kid is. And I don't know if Notre Dame is reading the room correctly with Bradshaw. Yeah. Right. You know, all things considered, but in this respect, in this tiny respect, since he hasn't taken any other official visits and they were open, they're like, Hey, this isn't really a good time. You know, yeah. it, it makes me like more okay. hopeful that they can yeah. get back on him and there's no yeah. hurt feelings. Whereas you couldn't, you couldn't double back to Martinez or cheeks, right? You, there was no going back to that. Once you made that decision, it, it was what it was. Sure. The Bradshaw situation was different. It's a good question. 
Mm-hmm. Not that they're not all good questions, but that also was another good one. Jordan Schreiber says, uh, Notre Dame puts up 40-plus points a game this year. The elite skill offensive players will come, but I worry about this drop-off from elite to good lineman with Quinn. Would 40-plus a game fix the O-line recruiting too? See, that's the thing. is I don't think Quinn's necessarily had an issue recruiting elite off- offensive linemen. It's been a different problem each year. In 2020, I don't think he had a problem recruiting elite offensive linemen because he got Tosh Baker, who's their top tackle on the board, in my opinion, an elite upside player. It was the depth. 2021, they got two elite offensive linemen. The problem was the depth. In 2022, you're getting depth, but you're not getting elite offensive linemen. And that the fact that he can't put that together is problematic for me. But it's also why if they can get good depth in this class – I'm going to feel better even if they miss on the elite players. I'm going to feel better about – so if they get Billy Shrouth and they get Emil Wagner, for example, so they don't get Jake Taylor, they don't get Zach Rice, you know, guy, and, and most people don't consider Billy Shrouth to be elite. So I'm just using him as an example. Very good, but not elite. Notre Dame wouldn't have an elite off- offensive lineman in there, but they'd have five really good players. Mm-hmm. And I can live without fo- any elite lineman if you've got five really good players. That's where I think the offensive line is a little different. And I think Clemson is a perfect example. Do you know how many first-round draft picks Clemson's had on the offensive line in the last five, ten years? I think the answer is zero. I was going to say, and, nom- and if nom- you nom- look at their 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 play, I mean, they had some guys drafted recently. John Simpson got drafted. Uh, J- Jackson Carm. They haven't had any first or second round picks. And their 2018 offensive line, I don't think had anybody like get drafted. They had one guy get drafted from that. Or no, excuse me, their 2016 offensive line. Their 2018 had a couple guys, but their 2016 offensive line, I don't think anybody get drafted. So, But they had really good players that could execute their system. So if you're going to make a mistake, if you're going to be, if you're going to come up short, I'd rather come up short on elite offensive linemen if I'm getting top 100 to 250, got four or five of them. Assuming you have a coach that can coach them up. And to me, that's the bigger problem. That's my bigger concern. But to your point, though, Jordan, do I think scoring 40-plus points a game with Notre Dame's offensive line tradition, would that shore up the offensive line problems? Yes, I think that it would. I think that it would. Okay. To to a large degree. To a large degree. Tommy Gunn's checking in. IB Nation. Uh, Let's see here. OC Irish fan says, am I correct in observing that Notre Dame rarely throws quick slant patterns? Correct. And a lot of teams have gone away from traditional slant routes. Uh, for example, uh, Steve Sarkeesian makes very clear when he's talking in videos that they don't run slants, they run glance routes. A glance route essentially is just it allows them a more flexibility to adjust their route than a slant does. A slant and, and, is going to be – go ahead, Vince. I was, was just going to – I didn't mean to interrupt. I was going to say, would you say that the reason less slant routes are run because the outside linebackers are getting more athletic? More athletic and teams are doing way more te- – teams are spreading the field a little bit more. I mean, Clemson st- – Alabama still runs slants, slant routes. I mean, you, you, look, okay, yeah, that you may call it something different, but I just watched the kid take three steps, right. bang off of it. You know? <laughs> right. But what it is is there, you know, that that route turned out because that's how the defense was playing. If the defense was playing differently, it would – you know, you'd do something different. Well, that's how I taught slants. You, you know what I mean? You adjust based on the defense. But Absolutely. Um, Notre Dame rarely throws that. Uh, I think that – I understand I would not have thrown that a whole lot in recent years. They threw some in 2018. Uh, Chris, I, I remember one, didn't Chris Fink have like a huge third down conversion against either Virginia Tech or Navy that year? I think it was Virginia Tech. 
a huge third or fourth down conversion in the Virginia Tech game, I believe, on a slant route. So they've run it. They just, like RPOs, they went away from stuff like that the last few years. After 2018, you know, the year where they had their by far best passing offense. So, um, you know, so so yeah, they, they don't run a ton. I, I, I'm okay if they don't. They, I'm, I'm okay, however, that they didn't run a ton with Ian Book because the problem with slants is it can actually be a difficult route to throw in, in college or not, not to throw a route to read in college because you can read the man over, but if you don't have a real savvy quarterback, you're going to always miss that dude that's inside. And I mean, first interception I threw in college was on a slant route where I hit mm-hmm. a linebacker right in the chest. <laughs> he, Cause I'm reading the nickel yeah. defender and I'm like, okay, he beat that guy slant oh i didn't see that linebacker running right. out underneath you know sure and, and so it's like it, it can be a challenging route to read and it takes a lot of reps you know to get comfortable with it but ian book was not a guy that read well in the middle of the field agree he was not someone that had great comfort throwing in the middle of the field and so i think that is part of the reason that they kind of went away from that a little bit tommy gunn said had to pull an all-nighter getting a load down to north carolina brian and Vinny d I'll be listening later tonight on my way back to Ohio, where the real ballers are from. Had to stop in and say hi. I knew you'd like that last comment there. <laughs> That's good. Uh, David says, look at all the happy Notre Dame fans. Uh, let's see here. I wonder if Tommy Guns is Tommy Leonard. And, and he's got a new a new okay. name. A new uh, oh and oh, that's a good okay. Okay. Well, he's doing a long truck tr- truck drive, right? And he thinks Ohio's where the real ballers are from, which is complete Those absurdity. Those and fit. only Tommy Leonard's the, the. No, I'm just, I'm kidding, but yeah, I, I do think that might be might be. Colin him. C says, "How are you feeling about Jaden Bellamy?" I'm hoping you have two shows today. You know, Colin, I'm not going to talk about Jaden Bellamy. Okay, um, I'm not going to give away his thing. Uh, we'll talk more about him in tonight's show. Sorry, pregnant pause there. Um, <laughs> sometimes I just I just love you. I, this, this <laughs> you just missed you missed being I on did. the show. You're I dead. did. I, I I will say I did listen uh, to mm-hmm. one of your shows while I was sitting in my beach chair. Okay, um, I, I was listening. So um, anyway, couldn't I had I couldn't get enough. I appreciate that. Uh, a follow up to the slant question, Coach D. Is there an easier pass to throw and read? Than a slant. Now you just said that you threw your first yeah. collegiate interception on yeah. a slant. So yeah, hitches aren't slants aren't super easy to throw. There's lots of easier pass. I mean, to me, the easiest pass for me to throw was an it was a, a an out. I mean, to from not me to throw, but like that I've seen is an inside out cut. You know, a, a five step out, a three step out, a slide, those kind of routes because you're you're reading out inside inside out reads are always the easiest in my opinion because. The danger guys are in your line of sight. Okay. So what I mean is if I'm reading to my to this direct, this is my right, and I'm throwing a five-yard outcut. So let's just say we're running a basic um, you know, flood concept. So the outside mm-hmm. receivers, we're gonna be able to do this in a really cool manner. Oh, I was gonna say, are you gonna week, whip it? Okay? Are you gonna get I'm not I'm okay. not. I'm gonna say is hopefully starting next week, we're gonna be able to do this uh, in a lot more cool fashion. Yes. But let's just say hypothetically the outside guys running a go route, the inside guys running a little five yard speed out, and the inside the, the number three guys running the uh, so it's a kind of an inverted flood cut, right? Mm-hmm. So instead of the number two guy running the deep out, it's the number the number two guy. And or you can even do it the other way around. And so my reads are always gonna be behind this the outcut. 
right? So I know what's coming to the outside. I can see it. It's in my line of sight. Whereas if I'm reading outside in, there's more, I'm now working back into the defense. And so I may not see a guy that I'm working back to when I'm throwing inside. So I've always felt inside breaking routes are always the toughest because there's just guys that aren't in your line of sight that you may not see. So to me, hitches are the or an easy route to throw yeah. or an easy ball to throw. One, that's a one-man out, yeah. read. Outbreaking routes, five to ten yard out cuts, or have always been. I've always found to be easy routes to read and throw. You know what's a, 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 a I have found to be a surprisingly difficult route to throw? Swing passes. Me, every quarterback I've seen. I mean, you many times we've seen college quarterbacks miss on a swing route. Just dirt one. Just I mean, is it really all, because it's a shorter throw and you don't they feel like you can snap it off, and then the running back's running at a weird angle, and how do you lead them upfield? And it, that is a, a sort of sneaky, difficult route to throw. Uh, but um, you know, I, I think those are the routes that I think are the easiest ones I, to, to. One to of the easiest ones I've. I felt like uh, to throw. Now, granted, I was never a quarterback, but I was a wide receivers coach, so I threw a lot of balls uh, in, in my time at practice. And so uh, one of the ones I thought was one of the easier ones to throw and read was a, a corner route. It was a corner route, and you're just kind of putting it out there, letting your guy run underneath it. It's kind of a one-man read, maybe a two-man, depending mm-hmm. on what the defense is. But you're just kind of putting it out there for them uh, between and the sideline the top and corner, guy. yeah. Yeah, but that's right. Where, that's, where it yeah. can be challenging is if you get those corner routes where you got to try to fit that thing over top of an underneath yeah, co- corner. And, and, and uh, well, you know, it's because you weren't a quarterback, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, corner th- those routes where you can kind of let a guy run underneath it, you don't yeah. have to be as precise and perfect. And that's that's what makes yeah, that a good That's what I was route. getting at. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I know. I'm okay. just messing with you. I know. Jacob Staley, I'm perfectly fine with Anderson going to Oregon if it means we get Bradshaw. Maybe it's a blessing in disguise, even though the root issue still exists. Yeah. And, that's and, and that's perfect- a great take. That's it's a great take. take. That's yeah. a great summation of what we were talking about at the top of the show. I literally have nothing to add to that. I mean, that that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly how it should be perceived, in my opinion. Oh no, he didn't. I'm, I'm, I'm putting it up too because I know how uh, much of a Cincinnati Reds fan. Well, I'm you a are. Reds fan, so I can appreciate that comment more than most because it is oh. so incredibly true. Well, he White Sox fans probably appreciate that Fair. too. Omar, but yeah, Olsen. the king of the walk strikeout homer. I mean, you could. I mean, you knew what was gonna. It, one of three things was gonna happen when Adam oh. Dunn was up to bat. It was gonna be a home run, a strikeout, or a walk. Uh, Omar's comment was the offensive recruiting has more strikeouts than Adam Dunn. That's just that's hilarious. That's spot on, Omar. Thank you, sir. I, no I love for the that. big donkey in this uh, in this show today. <laughs> if that's really his nickname, that's really his be, nickname. The big donkey. No love for him. Yes. That's terrible yes. nickname. That's terrible. Uh, he ever Williams. seen Adam Dunn? What's, yeah, I've yeah. Okay, he doesn't I, look like a big donkey to you. <laughs> Still not a good nickname. There's a lot of things I'm sure I look like, but I don't want to be called those things. All right, uh, Heath Williams says if Notre Dame loses out on Singleton, does Notre Dame pivot to another running back recruit or just stick with Price as the only running back in the 22 class? They would stick with just Price in 2022 unless they're able to a flip a guy like Singleton down the road or somebody breaks out and plays to the level of the running back. So they're not going to take a Plan B guy to for depth. What they would maybe right. do, Vince, is they would take a guy who was a Plan B guy who maybe breaks out as a senior. So like I've mentioned, Jabron Payne before, and I'm not saying their name is recruiting him. I'm just an example of an that example. was a kid that they had offered. He had an injury last year. I think he played one game. He's a kid that I liked sophomore film of, but you know I want to kind of see him take that next step. If he's healthy, if he has grades, and he just comes out and has a monster year this year in Ohio, 
then I'd say, okay, you know what? He's he. I'm taking him because he's now on the level of a Dallin Hayden and Nicholas Singleton. They're not going to take a second back just to take a second back. And this is the one thing we did say about the big three backs is they're recruiting those guys because they want them. So it is a miss from the standpoint of they went for them, they wanted them, and they lost. Mm-hmm. It's not a miss, in my opinion, from the standpoint of I don't think it impacts the depth chart because they did well last year because they have Jadarian Price. So we have to be able to look at the, you know to, at this one and be more objective. It's a problem that Lance Taylor keeps missing on his top backs, but they still have pretty good backs, right? We have to be able to, to say both of those, in my in my opinion. Omar says about your wide receiver article, does Notre Dame have to take the next tier wide receiver if they miss out on Williams and Merriweather? Do they have to? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you you need at least three receivers in this class. I mean, you, you you can't just bring in two receivers. I think the only way that I would say you could do that is if you knew of some grad transfers you could get this offseason. You can't go into next season and say, well, we just hope there's going to be some receiver transfers that we can get. Uh, yeah, I just I, – I will say this – the. The danger, so like if we're just talking randomly and just saying whatever we want, we say, well, if they only get two receivers, let's just say they get Walker and let's say they miss on those two guys and they take Bradshaw or you know, Ao Menor. And I don't know if I'm saying that kid's name right. I hope I am. I apologize. It's, it's pretty not. good. I mean, I, the way I see it spelled out, that, that's pretty good. So you say, well, you know, look, they could bring back Kevin Austin, Braden Lindsay, Joe Wilkins, and Lawrence Keyes, and they'll be fine in 2022. And that's true. Number one, we don't know if all four of those guys are going to want to come back. We don't know if all four of those guys are going to be able to come back because of the school, you know, mm-hmm. especially Kevin Austin I'm concerned about. Would the school allow him to come back with the issues he's had? Hopefully they would. And then number three, if those guys are are in a position where they can come back, then does that mean that they played with the talent and the production that you need to, to you know, that you'd want them back? So th- those are all problematic things perfect world they all play great and they still want to come back you know and and then you got to hope no one transfers you got to hope no one gets injured i mean there's it just it leaves you in a really tough spot because you had four receivers leave your roster and three of them you weren't necessarily expecting three of them were freshmen or redshirt freshmen that you, you has left you in a tough spot and and that's what's kind of been confusing to me is that they haven't tried to replace Kendall Abdurrahman's skill set in this class and that's where i'm hoping eventually they get to Xavier Bradshaw I hope I answered that question correctly, Omar. A couple comments here by OC Irish fan. He says, I'm surrounded here in Orange County, California by USC. And he says, it's a university of spoiled chicken. Your show is the best children. Medicine. I yeah. love that. Oh, spoiled yeah. children. Excuse me. I said chicken. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Same difference. I'm, maybe I'm hungry for lunch. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, that's really funny. Uh, Irish fan. I love that. Let's see here. Uh, D-Rock Irish says, IB is greater than Hurricane Elsa. Time to check out Brian's latest news. Go Irish. Uh, I hope you guys stay safe. Yeah, no doubt. Let's see here. Michael- we had this conversation the other day, Vince. Oh, said, yeah. uh, my, I was in a, um, a meeting with a company that's looking into building us a message board, which, Vince, you don't know about this yet because – that's probably uh, one but, of the uh, things we were going to talk about. We were talking about natural. I don't know how the conversation went here. But we we're talking about natural disasters, and and I and I was making. Would you rather live in a place where you can get hurricanes or a place where you can have tornadoes? And mm-hmm. I said I'd rather live in a place where you have hurricanes because with hurricanes, you kind of have some advanced warning. They don't just like show up Tuesday morning. You know, they, they you <laughs> kind of have some pr- time to prep. Whereas, Fair enough. you can be on a bike right now, and all of a sudden, like, oh hey, look, you know, tornado. You know, and so 
Um, There's a little bit of a warning for a tornado. But not like, really. I don't know where it's going to happen. You know, it may happen around here, maybe. Yeah, you know, right. but like, I mean, you know, it's like oh, a tornado, tornado warning in three minutes is over your house. It's like, yeah, I didn't have a lot of time to prepare. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, her, her, tornadoes and earthquakes, two places I would I would not want to live in, which I mean, I kind of do live in one, because, but you can't avoid natural disasters. Right. Yeah, I would, I'd probably rather deal with hurricanes, That's although funny. they're obviously more devastating to a bigger a bigger area. But anyway, we need to go down that road too much. But it just made me think of that when when he mentioned Hurricane Elsa. Like, would you rather live in a place where there's like, you know, Tornado Alley or in a place where you're always getting hurricanes? Yeah, Tornado Alley would scare me a lot if we were actually in Tornado Alley. We have more Which of a chance of a tornado here than we do right. of a hurricane. But right. yes, I mean, I, I don't know. We have beaches up here apparently now. So... <laughs> Somebody got really mad about that on Facebook. Like, like I'm serious. Like I, you know, like, I know I saw relax. that. Relax. Just like, take a deep breath. It's all good. We're just having some fun. Not a lie. If you believe it. All right. Yeah. Uh, Michael says, I believe three receivers from last year left or are in the portal Four. it's actually four. Micah Jones, Kendall Abdurrahman, J- Jordan Johnson, and Jay Brunel. How, however, I'll say three of those were three. One of those was not unexpected. I mean, they, Micah Jones was not going to come back. He was right. not going to be, you know, he had graduated. He was he was going to leave. But, yeah, there's there's four. Tommy Lawson says, the way recruiting is going, this has to be Brian Kelly's best recruiting year. What year could be better? Well, there's that, several that, that are better that, than where things are right now. Right, I mean, exactly. last year's class is better right. than this class right now. You know, I mean, last year's class is right as of right now, better at quarterback, better at running back, better at receiver. Um Wash at tight end. I'd probably give the edge to this year's offensive or tight end class. I'd give the edge to last year's offensive line class because you had five compared to three. Uh, I'd give the edge this year on just about every defensive category. You know, defensive end better this year. Defensive tackle better last year. Linebacker better this year. Cornerback better last year. Safety better last year. So again, you got to finish the class up, right? I mean, right. so. Yeah, it has a chance to be Tommy, and that, that's the exciting thing. It has a chance to be, but remember. Last year's class was ranked number one for a while, right? So that's what I say. It's about how you finish. I think this class, what makes this class unique is last year when it was ranked number one, the exception of Prince Kali, most of the top players were already committed super early. Mm-hmm. This year, there's still opportunities to keep adding top players. You still have Jalen Snead on the board. You still have Anthony Lucas. You'll have Tobias Merriweather. You still have C.J. Williams. You still have Devin Moore. You still have Jake Poe. You know, right. Although those guys aren't necessarily highly ranked, but I think they're really good. Sure. But there's still a lot of high-volume players that you're hoping to add, which will help solidify you in that top five range, which is where Notre Dame has an opportunity. The only class that I would say has a chance to be better than this one would be the 2013 class which so far is still Notre Dame's highest ranked, highest ranked class. That was, that's the class you had Malik Zayer at quarterback, you had Torian Folson and Greg Bryant at running back. Somebody told me that, that uh, uh, some guy called him the other day and was, or yesterday, I don't know if it was somebody put on a message board or somebody texted him this, said that, that Lance Taylor's recruited more top backs than Tony Alford did. Like Tony Alford recruited more top backs in one class. You, you had Greg Bryant and Torian Folson in one class. You had Wolf Fuller, Corey Robinson, Torrey Hunter at receiver, you had Mike Hireman at tight end in that class. You had the offensive line class was Steve Elmer, Mike McGlinchey, uh, Hunter Bibbon, who's the top hundred recruit, John Montless, Colin McGovern, defensive line. You had Isaac Rochelle. You had Eddie Vanderdose, who obviously signed but didn't end up staying. You had Jalen Smith. You had Cole Luke. You had Max Redfield. That was a really oh, yeah. good class. I mean, that right now is still the best class Notre Dame has had. 
I think this class, if they finish, if they get the two receivers we talked about, Merriweather Williams, if they get Jalen Sneed, if they get Devin Moore, if they get Xavier Pope, then it comes down to can you get a Lucas and a Nwankpa? You know, can you get a couple of those guys that can maybe be that surprise guy? And if you can finish with that kind of class, this group absolutely has a chance to be Brian Kelly's best best class, in my opinion. I'm going to bring up that super chat. Yep, throwing it your way. Brandon says, as recruiting coordinator, does Elson bear some responsibility for the offense, recruiting successes and failures, or does his responsibilities lie elsewhere? His his responsibility lies with coming up with the plan, Mm -hmm. and then it's up to the assistant coaches to carry out the plan. You can't ask the defensive line coach who has his own responsibilities of putting together a great defensive line class to call all the receivers. That's not what a recruiting coordinator's job is. A recruiting coordinator's job is to make sure that everyone's on the same page, that we have a plan, we have a we have a plan of attack. Now everybody go. That the message is, right. is the same throughout, right. you right. know, that right. kind of a thing. Now, yeah. is there some responsibility that Mike Elson is going to have to come up with in July to say, hey, this isn't good enough. Let's figure out what's going on. Yes, he needs to do that, and I think he will. But for the month of June, he couldn't have that responsibility. He's trying to plan visits. He's trying to recruit defensive linemen. He's trying to recruit linebackers. He's recruiting 2023 defensive linemen. Because, hey, if he was spending all his time trying to figure out what the heck's going on with the offense, we may not have Keon Keeley and Brandon Vernon to talk about being No commits, question. No question. Right? That's his primary responsibility. Now, he lays out the plan, and it's up, it, it, it's up to all you coaches that are making six figures as well right. to go out there and do your stinking jobs and go get go get it done. Right. And if you're not, that's up to Brian Kelly to make sure that he finds people that can get the job done. That's a very good question. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a very fair question. But yeah, I, and I would, if, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's a good question. RJG Irving, skill recruits have to be thinking three and out. If no tape or little produ- production early makes three and out tougher to achieve. If you want elites, you have to play earlier than ND has in the past. That's yeah, fair. Like there's, there's definite. Yeah. Point Not every that. kid doesn't have to play early, but you need to have at least some semblance of yes. success. Because as, there's going to be kids that, right. that that is their focus is playing early. Like that is right. their number one priority. Right. And if you haven't shown in the past that you can do that and that you're willing to do that, then you have no shot with that kid. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that kid is a perfect fit for Notre Dame, etc. But I'm saying is some kids that are a great fit for Notre Dame, playing early is really important to them. And, and, and that's so, okay. And that's you okay. Think if, you think Michael Mayer would have been as fired up about Notre Dame if Chip Long was like, "Yeah, we're going to sit. You know, we're going to put you yeah. in the oven for a couple of years and let you cook, and then right. we'll get you out as a redshirt." You know, no, it's okay. I'm going to go start at Ohio State as a freshman. Thank you. Exactly. Yes. Just your ordinary Joe merch madness. Just ordered two Gap Closure shirts, one to wear and one to keep in mint condition. <laughs> I'm counting on it being like there's items. nice. Once the nice. gap is closed, fun and nice. Very nice. Very you nice. Get one frame, put it behind you, Brian. Just you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's great. That's awesome, Joe. I, I appreciate it. if that is actually your name, Joe. That that's uh, it is. I just looked up the. I just looked up okay. on full to see the order, and he did. He did order it. Yeah, so. Uh, very, very excited about it. So I appreciate that very much. That is awesome. Uh, let's see. Michael says, I think Freeman and Elson are killing it on the defensive side. I don't think how, yep. I don't know how you could argue that. Yeah. point. That is I mean, I do think correct. if we're being uh, uh, honest, look, they're, they've got to close in the secondary, right? They got to yeah. close. Oh yeah. They, 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 they've got the board in place. They're, they're probably going to lose Benjamin Morrison. Right. But you know, Jake Pope, Xavier Nwangpa, Devin Moore and Jaden Bellamy, you, you got to, you got to go at least three for four with those guys. Mm-hmm. You got to go at least three for four. A four for four would be ideal, but you have to go at least three for four with those guys. You can't lose like Nwankba and Devin Moore because then it's like, okay, great front seven, but you came up short in secondary, which is 
you know, the year before you had a great secondary class and you came up short in front seven, right? You know, so, but that's the thing is you, great programs don't have those, those years where one year you did great here, but you came up short in other play. It, you have to have that consistency sure. to really be a great program. And so, no yeah, question. they've done a great job so far, but as of July 2nd, I love what the defense is doing, but we need to see them close. And now we are officially back to the start of the show as awesome. far as comments are concerned. Unbelievable. So, but before we get to those, we have a I super chat. Another right? super chat. I'm yeah. loving it. Thomas Walsh back in it again. Thomas says, does Merriweather want to run track in college? And if so, will Notre Dame allow it? Also, any thoughts on bringing legendary former Notre Dame receivers to help with receiver recruiting? Thanks. A uh, couple things here. I don't know if he wants to run track, although after the success that he had, this past year running track where I think he won the district one, two and four hundred meters. And I think his high school also won the, like, I think the 400 meter relay. I think they also won. I would imagine there's going to be some schools that are going to try to use that to get but, him yeah. in. If Oregon wants to get in on him and I, and I heard that they are trying to get in on him, they can really use the track thing big time. I don't know if that's something that he's interested in. I will look into that because I, I think I think you asked me that on uh, yesterday's show, and I didn't get a chance to get to it, Thomas. So I apologize. Um, so will Notre Dame allow it? Yeah, I mean Troy oh, yeah. Pride ran track at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. I mean we've had we've had other guys run track in Notre Dame. They have no problem. Well, Braden Lindsey ran. Braden Lindsey ran track as front. Yeah, yeah. He, and he's decided to not run track because he wanted to focus on getting healthy and get ready for football. Right. <clears throat> yeah, but Braden Lindsey ran track as a freshman, I believe. Correct. I remember that Troy was a big Pride, thing. Between yeah. him and Oregon, wasn't yeah, it? Troy, Troy, yeah, it was. Well, that mm-hmm. was part of the reason that Oregon yeah. was able to initially get him. Now, that's right. what can hurt Notre Dame because they don't have that that track program That success. elite track program, sure. Right, whereas Oregon does, LSU does, Florida, has, I believe, has one of those as well. So if I was another program, I would absolutely try to use that against Notre Dame if Notre Dame was the leader for a kid. No no question about it. That that would be That'd be something I'd try to use. So very, now, as far as the other part about bringing in legendary former receivers to help with Notre Dame recruiting, I mean, the only legendary receivers that these kids will know about are still playing in the NFL. Golden you know, Tate. Fuller and Golden Tate and and uh, Chase Claypool. They don't have any clue who Jeff Samarja is, most likely. So in that kind of used to pitch for the Cubs, you know, <laughs> and they don't know who Rocket is really, and they don't know who Tim Brown is. And right. again, those the, there's, I mean, th- those are fun things to do if like for a game, but like that's not going to be a needle mover. I mean, I and I, Thomas, I get where the question is coming from because it's just like, what can you do? Like, something's got to be done here, right? That would get uh, me to sign. Like, I, yeah, I'd be in. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but, you, but you wouldn't need that, though, Vince. You right. would have already been signed. You've yeah. already been committed, where, right? Where do, I, where do I sign? Like, if they would have called and said, hey, we're going to offer you a scholarship, and you before they got the word scholarship out, you'd be like, yes, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> sign me up. So, you know, there, there's there's no question about it. But no, that's a good question. But look, yeah. and, and I and I get where your head's at. I really do, Thomas. And I think I, – I, I, I'm with you, but it just that's that at the end of the day, that might be something that is a cool moment, but it's not going to be the thing that ultimately gets a kid to pick Notre Dame. They that it, that's going to be about Dell, that's going to be about Tommy, and that's going to be about BK. That's yeah, what ultimately look, if, if the kid says, you know, Golden Tate is my favorite receiver of all time or something like that, and that comes up in the recruiting process, am I going to reach out to Golden Tate as the coach and be like, hey, can you FaceTime this kid, you know, and mm-hmm. talk to him? Absolutely, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But that that's a it's a case by case basis. And I don't right. even know if anything like that would even come up to be honest right. with you, but like, I don't look, think you was like, hey, I really want to meet Tim Brown. Right. Right. Well, if you did, you may, you may have Tim Brown in town for something on a weekend when sure. he's, you know, yeah. within rules, of course. But yeah. Right. But at the end but of the I mean, day, that's not going to, if he still doesn't think coach Alexander or coach Reese is going to be able to develop him for the next four years, he's still going to pick the other school. He's going to have that really cool moment where he met Tim Brown or rocket or whatever. 
This is going to pick another school. We got another super chat, Vince. <sighs> My goodness gracious. Alex Udell, this is a really good question, Vince. You okay. Go and, and read that one. It's a really yeah. good question. Alex says, do you think uh, Notre Dame can or should do anything to make Notre Dame Stadium a more raucous atmosphere? Seems too tame for visiting teams compared to when Notre Dame travels. You know, that is a very interesting question because that is the age-old question at Notre Dame. Look, I've been covering Notre Dame since 2004. Uh, and obviously, I've been a Notre Dame fan my whole life. <clears throat> and whenever people talk about Notre Dame Stadium and they talk about their complaints, and, I, and I've seen them over in our comment section uh, multiple mm-hmm. times of guys complaining about Notre Dame Stadium. And there's a, a certain demographic of Notre Dame fan that's not going anywhere anytime soon. Well, um, and well, okay, <laughs> I'm not going there this time. Okay. <laughs> I'm just not going to. Um, but they they insist on staying seated the whole time. They insist on people around them staying seated and being quiet, and they'll get the ushers involved and things of that nature. I get all that. And the problem is there's nothing that Notre Dame can do to change that. Specific- yes, they can. They well, can tell the ushers. If people are complaining not, about people staying up a football yeah. game, you tell them there's nothing wrong with that and right. move on. And and that, 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 that is – Because the problem is – the problem is then the ushers get involved and tell people to sit down. That's the problem. Yes, they do. You're so, right. Hey, look, this is a You're football right. game. What did you think people were going to do with a football game? Right. right? It's like, say, what? Well, you know, I got hit with a baseball. I'm mad. You went to a baseball game. You right. sat where there wasn't a fence in front of you. Sure. Like, you, you had to know this was a possibility, right? You know, I, I mean, agree. so. That Notre Dame is complicit. Yes. Yes. I, I agree. Because, hey, you, you know what? If, 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 if I know I complain about something, they're going to do anything about it, then guess what? I'm not going to complain about it. I'm just going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stop coming, which I'm going to like, okay, cool. Or buy you a know? suite because those people right. are usually the wealthy people that right. have been there forever. Right. You know, go buy a suite. I, I have a couple comments on this one, Vince. Number yeah. one, uh, yes, there are things that are going to do. We just mentioned some. I think that Notre Dame also prices out of some more traditional fans that would be a little bit more excited. Right. And because yes, because and I I said I had to get friends tickets because they can't afford to get tickets. So when I come across someone, hey, you got some tickets? You you know somebody that wants time. tickets, and I give yeah. them out, and you know, but like <clears throat> you you price yourself out of of those kind of fans the, of that dad that's going to bring his four kids, and you know they'd probably be a little bit louder and spend a little bit more sure. money. But you know that's not the element that Notre Dame seems to want to go for. And I think they need to do things where maybe you don't. If there's, I don't know how this would work, but is there a way you can not have more, so many tickets getting on the secondary market? You know what I mean? Things like that, which then all of a sudden the price gouging starts, and all of a sudden, it, like you said, the other thing obviously is not trying to try. And I don't know how you do this, but try to find ways to make sure that when those big, uh, those other big opponents come to town, that you've tried to find ways to make sure that you're ensuring that Notre Dame fans actually get those tickets first. But here's the other thing: what we have to understand is whenever Notre Dame travels. The opposing team is a big-time program, right? So Notre Dame is always a big game when they travel. It's not the same case when Duke comes to Notre Dame, right? The Georgia crowd, the Texas crowd in 2015, Vince, that was a loud crowd. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Michigan game in 2018, that was a loud crowd. Notre Dame and USC in 2015, I thought, thought, was a loud crowd. Because you know what those were? Big games. Yeah. And Notre Dame was yeah. good. And and the night games are loud and raucous right. because those are the big games. Right. right? And, and, and I, I yeah. would be curious from, and, and this is an honest question, you know, so people who attended games back in the 80s, 
Was the Air Force game super loud? I, I'm, this is a genuine question. Like, I, I don't know the answer to this. I know Miami was loud because I've watched that game before, and it was crazy sure. and raucous. But, of course, it was my – just like if Alabama came to Notre Dame next year, and if Notre Dame was smart enough to not allow Alabama fans to overtake the stadium, that place would be wild, you know? My question would be would be that. The other thing, too, is let's not forget, there's usually a lot more students at an Alabama game or an Ohio State game than there are Notre Dame students. And, and they could allow every Notre Dame student to go to the game, and there still would be a lot more of those just because oh, Notre Dame's such a smaller school. Exactly. And they and, offer and, tickets to everybody. Not, not everybody buys them. Yeah. But, yeah, they, they, the student so, section. Yeah. Big. So I, I think that, that, to me, it's it's also about you haven't had a lot of big games at Notre Dame in recent seasons. I, the Clemson game this year, had it been uh, a, full a full stadium, would have been wild. Yes. It would have been crazy, especially because it was a good game. It was a great game. <clears throat> yes. That place would have been wild. So, it, but I, I do think so. Along with some of the changes I think Notre Dame can make, I do think there are some things that 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 go into it as far as the quality. Where I've heard people say that what 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 uh, you know what Alex said, which is fair, is like you know it always seems like when when Notre Dame goes on the road, those crowds are always really loud and wild. Yeah, because they're playing Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if yeah. they were playing Duke, it wouldn't be that wild. Just like sure. it's not wild in Notre Dame when Notre Dame plays Duke. Well, and so and I, I will say I will say that Notre Dame. You know, bringing in the jumbotron and mm-hmm. and a lot, you know, having the ribbon boards and the way that they built up the three new buildings, it's, it the sound, sound in. stays in. Yeah. I mean, so a so, lot better. So Notre Dame and, and they've upgraded the sound system and they've so they've done some things. I think to make it a more raucous atmosphere. I, I remember in 2015 is when they first started building the new stuff. Right, and I remember being on the field uh, uh, at the end of that Texas game and being like, "I don't think the stadium's ever been this loud." Yeah, like because you know we're there at the end of games if they've won some big games before. Sure. Like I don't think I've ever heard the stadium this loud. Part of it was because it was Texas, but the other part of it is because you could hear, you could feel the sound yeah. coming back in instead of just escaping out like it had Correct. in the traditional bowl. Yep, and, and so like Michigan, for example, the way that I was, I was told this that the way that Michigan built their press box, the windows or was built in a way to where it reverberates sound back into the stadium. They're like this. Right. And so that's how Notre Dame has done some stuff that way to make it, a, mm-hmm. you know, to, to amplify the sound in that regard. Yes. But I, I also think that, that the opponent is going to be a part of that. I mean, I, I thought the Michigan game of 2018, I mean, you could feel the stadium shaking. You rarely feel that at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. You could feel the stadium shaking. When Brandon Wimbush threw that pass to Chris Fink, that place was going nuts. You know, so I, I do think the opponent matters. And let's be honest, Notre Dame's home schedule the last few years has been pretty lame. Mm-hmm. And the one year they would have had an awesome home game. Last you know, year, they couldn't even fill it. They, they couldn't fill it I because, mean, for, because yeah. of COVID. Right. Yeah. It was, yeah, it wasn't Notre Dame's fault. Right. We got so, two more Super Chats, Brian. Yeah, uh, let's do it. So well, we got to hit both of those. We got two more down got there. Brandon. Brandon said, yes. I'm sure it's I, it's been mentioned. But I'm not sad at all about Anderson as it's one step closer to Bradshaw, but the staff clearly wanted him, and it's the fact that not closing is becoming a, tra- a trend by the offensive staff, and that's very fair. Yes. And that's kind of what we talked about earlier, Brandon, is it's it's sort of a – we talk, exa- we said exactly what you said, Brandon, and so mm-hmm. we're on the same page, which is I'm not upset about this from a Nicholas Anderson standpoint, although Nicholas Anderson's a good football player. It's just he doesn't move the needle on Bama and Clemson Ohio State. So five years ago, I'd had a different opinion about landing Nicholas Anderson, even though I'd have thought the same thing as a player. So it was like, hey, this is a football player. They need that kind of depth, that kind of player yeah. receiver. The game's changed now. You know, they, they can, We know they can get that kind of guy. They need to get the next level kind of guy. But it to your point though, they did want him and they did miss on him. And that 
that's that's the problem. Thanks again, so Brandon. Very, for the super very chat. much. Thanks for that. And then Corey D. So the imbalance in recruiting typifies Kelly's tenure. Just when we are on the verge of an elite status, we suddenly forget how to recruit offensive linemen. That's kind of been the thing. I mean, mm-hmm. let's be honest. For all the wonderful things Coach Kelly has done, they've just never been able to get both sides of the ball on the same page. Yeah. Great defense in 2012. Great defense in 2018. Those offenses were subpar. Mm-hmm. Really explosive, dynamic offense in 2015. But you had Brian Van Gorder running the defense. It's just kind of like that's that's the – that's the. I mean, that's a very fair concern, right? Mm-hmm. Is he going to be able to get to the point where he's able to build one up at the same time? You know, so, you know, hey, look, you had to build up the defense, right? You've done that now. Now you need to make the tough moves to make sure that the offense gets to that level, whether it's, you know, whether it's, I mean, I don't even want to get into it because this is going to make it seem like I'm calling people out, but we all know the areas where there's got to be improvements. Sure. Are you willing to make those tough decisions there on the side of the ball that you're involved in? And that's the bigger thing for me is he's fine – hiring big personalities on defense because he doesn't really have as much to do. He's not over there. He doesn't recruit those kind of guys on offense. And the two guys that he did bring in that had big personalities, let's just say he wasn't unhappy when they left. And mm-hmm. that's Harry Heastand and Chip Long. Because he wants people that are, you know, he he you you guys know where I'm going with this one. That's got to be something Coach Kelly's got to adjust and change. You, you need to be willing to have dynamic personalities that are willing to challenge you. And then you need to have more dynamic coaches on that side of the ball. All right, I believe we are out of super chats at the moment. Mm-hmm. So thank you everybody for dropping those in. This yeah. has been this has been a great day yeah. uh, as far as super chats are concerned. So again, yeah. we are back to the top uh where the show started as far as comments are concerned. So Thomas, Vince, yeah, Corey D, welcome back. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh Jacob says Vince is back. Welcome back. Yes, I'm very excited to be of all the shows to come back for. I'm glad it was this one. That is for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shane O'Shea says comment was removed from the commit video. What, what are your thoughts on Vernon's athleticism? Saw a recent camp video and it looked like he was struggling to get through the drills. Uh, didn't think he was struggling to get through the drills. Uh, didn't remove any comments from the commit video either. I I think I've said this before. He's got a very weird athleticism. He's got a very herky jerky athleticism. Um, what I care about is what you see on film. Mm-hmm. And what you see on film is a really good football player. I, I think Ohio State fans who would be raving about this commitment a week ago are now nitpicking every little thing about this. Of kid. course they so are. So we've seen some of that. But uh, I think those videos that I saw, that's about a kid that's trying to get the technique down at a camp as a sophomore. Uh, like I said, and and also what I saw from that, those drills was heavy hands, powerful hands. He's a big end. You know, you're not going to ask him to drop into coverage. You're going to ask him to be powerful and be physical at the point of attack, and those things I think he can do and do at a high level for a sophomore. There's still a lot of room for growth in his so game. So far to a go. A lot of room for growth in his yeah. game. And, that's a, and it does not take away from how big of a commitment that was. DeBear's man, Wilt Fong, posted an article with some quotes from Nwankpa at the opening, and some very positive things were said about Notre Dame. Each day I get more and more optimistic about Notre Dame's chances with him be great i'd be huge i'd be huge that be huge. would be huge uh d rock says uh brian you asked me to bring this up today the article i sent you yesterday regarding nil and nine states who don't require people to file state income tax your thoughts though do those schools have an edge and he continues on with 
Uh, those states include Florida, Texas, Tennessee, and Washington as examples. Residency issues will be huge or keeping players in those states. Thoughts? Yeah, I don't know if these kids are going to be making enough money to where that would matter. Because state income tax is not like the federal income tax, you know, where you're making X amount of dollars and they're taking 30 some percent out of your your deal. State income tax is a lot smaller because states yeah. usually are going to ma- be making money in other ways, property taxes and those type of things. So um, a state income tax is not a huge number. I don't think it's it's going to really have a needle moving type of impact in that regards. I mean, we see this in, in, in major league sports and it rarely impacts it in major league sports. I mean, you still see guys sign with the Yankees. You still see oh, guys sure. sign with the Mets knowing that they're going to be taxed out of their minds. Mm-hmm. Uh, you still see guys sign with the 49ers or the giants you know, in the NFL. Uh, it, you know, you still keep see coaches take those jobs uh, because you're ma- because at that point in time now you're making enough money to where you're, you're you know okay, you don't fine. feel it I mean it, right I don't think it's I don't think it's going to be needle moving money in that regards now if these kids start making a huge ton uh, then maybe that is but I, even then if if you have then you kind of get into these situations of okay if you go to Texas A and M you're not going to be taxed state income tax right. And let's say a kid's making hundred thousand, and I don't even know what these kids are going to make. I'm just throwing a number out there just for argument's sake. Say, okay, you're going to you can make a hundred thousand dollars at Texas A&M, and you know what? It's not going to be taxed in, in, from an income tax standpoint. And the other nice thing is, is if you're at College of Texas A&M, the nice thing there, or Texas, the nice thing there would be, you know, you're going to be living on campus, so you won't have some of the property taxes, which is the way that Texas makes up for not having an income tax, state income tax, right? They're going to have higher property taxes than Indiana is going to have, for example. So they're going to still get their money, right? They're just going yeah, to get it. It just depends on way. how they get it. Yeah, right. Well, with these college athletes, they're not paying those property taxes. So that's a double positive. But then Notre Dame can counter with, yeah, you may make $100,000 there, but you're going to make $150,000 here as the starting quarterback in Notre Dame. And so even though with taxes, you're still going to make more money here than you would have made there. So, and I pray to God that we don't get to this point where we have to, where, where Mike Elson or, or Tommy Reese has to be, you know, discussing the, the tax implications you're of right. playing at Notre Dame versus, you know, Florida state or something like that. Calculator and show like, Oh my gosh. I mean, just, it's going to make it not fun in a lot of ways, but I think it's a very good question. And, I think there's a lot of those things, Vince, or, uh, D-Rock and Vince, that, I mean, we don't have answers to that right now. And and because it's so new, it's so weird. I mean, it is so new. I just, it's a whole new world. And because the NCAA has done this in such a wild, wild west format, it's a whole new world. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we really know. It's almost kind of like, well, let's see where this goes because they're not doing anything about it. It's just, hey, do what you got to do. And it's just such cowardice. And um, I can't wait to these people that are so pro- uh, you know, NIL stuff, start writing these articles about, I can't believe that this people are taking right. advantage of these kid and his family and all this. I'm like, okay, okay. What'd you expect? You, yeah. <laughs> again, I'm not anti NIL. I'm just do- about doing it right in a way that's going to protect the game, but then also protect these young people and right. give them opportunities to max, you know, to, to make as much money as they can, but in a way that they're, that it, it's just not, it doesn't become where this is the only concern that they have. You say, hey, look, you can only do so many a, a, a month because, you know, hey, you are a student athlete. You do have to go to class, you know, so it's going to be. And I'll tell you what, huge props to the kids like Dylan Gibbons and Spencer Rattler who are using this opportunity to make money that they are then giving to people, which is just 
awesome, in my opinion. Or using this spotlight to then bring awareness to causes yeah. and things like that. Sure. I just, I love that. Jojo Pineda. What's up, Jojo? He says, hi, guys. Happy Friday. Uh, pray we hear some good news later on with Bellamy. And it's been pretty clouded with O-line wide receiver and, and running back recruiting. Thank goodness we started uh, started off great with 2023. Hate missing offense. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you you nailed it. I got yeah. nothing. I got nothing for you, Jojo. I mean, you, you got it down. You got it down. Jonathan says, Brian, if both CJ Williams and Tobias Merriweather commit, would you be okay with those two being the last two skill position offensive players that Notre Dame adds to the class? Heck yes. <laughs> Heck yes. Look, if now that they means Singleton look, is not right. Yeah. No, look. Okay. Cool. I just, th- just throw it out I there. Mean, yeah. If all, and it also means Bradshaw's not coming. If, yeah, if this point. class is Steve Angeli at quarterback, Jadarian Price at running back, CJ Williams. Tobias Merriweather, a Morgan Walker at receiver, and Eli Raritan at Holden Stace at tight end. Yeah, could they have maybe? I wish they'd have got Bradshaw. I wish they'd have got, but that's really good. I mean, look, you've got the number one receiver on my board, the number three receiver on my board, because I have Bradshaw ahead of Williams when I when I when I factor in fit and all those types of things. Uh, you know, I, I, he was my two, but it was like two A and two B kind of thing. You'd have two of my top three receivers. You'd have the two top tight ends on the board. You'd have a, a four-star top 250 caliber running back on the board. Yeah, that's that's really good. Yeah. A, a year after you got Lorenzo Styles and Deion Colsey and Logan Diggs and Audric Estime and Tyler Buckner and Kane Barong. So would I be okay with that if they get those two guys? Yeah. Now, that doesn't excuse the fact that it was a rockier road to get there, and you have to ask yourself, would a move mean we not only get those guys, but we maybe get those guys sooner, but we get those guys and we get something better. But to your point, Jonathan, as I've always said, the finish line, the finished product is what matters, mm-hmm. right? It's it's kind of like a good haircut. You get halfway through that haircut. If that person stops cutting your hair, it's going to be like, no, like this looks terrible. It, what matters is the finished product, right? The class at the end of the day, it's like Deion Colsey. We don't talk a whole lot about the fact that he decommitted at one point in time, mm-hmm. right? But all that matters is not that he decommitted; it's that he still signed. Mm-hmm. That Braden Lindsey decommitted from you know, yeah, he, he matters was committed to Oregon, signed. yeah, yeah. So what matters is what they end up with, and if they end up with those two, are there still problems that I would address? Foss Brian Kelly, heck yes. Would I still feel good? Like imagine, but here's the thing: imagine what they could do if they actually had good recruiter there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that that's the thing you have to think about. Ashley Hill says, I listen to a lot of Notre Dame podcasts, and you are the best, in my honest opinion. You bring something new and different to the table. You always have a passion for your content and delivering it. I appreciate that very much, Ashley. Yeah, and, no and kidding. Very much. And and I and I'm glad <laughs> that the passion is the part that people get. You, you, what I appreciate about the comment, I mean, look, we work our butts off. I, I mean, Vince, you know this, man. I'm I'm sending you emails at like 3.30 in the morning as I'm signing off on the day. Like, so when you get up the next morning, you see those emails. You know what I mean? Because I'm you've been in bed for five hours and I'm just now <laughs> leaving my office area. It's you that works your butt off. Right, right, well, you I'm do too. You have five kids to raise in another job. But, but you know, we work hard. And, and so it's nice being told that, hey, you enjoy the content. But the things that mean the most to me that we're getting and then what you guys are talking about here is – is when you guys talk about how the passion that we bring to the table and the fact that you all believe you're, we're giving you an honest opinion. You may disagree with it. You may not like it. You may give yeah. us a thumbs down. 
But if you always believe that we're giving you honest opinions, then that's great. Now, not everybody thinks that. Some people think that we do things for, I had some clown on Twitter last night. Well, you just do that for clicks. I'm like, oh, okay, that's just dumb. <laughs> if I was worried about clicks, he we'll said doing I was being negative to get man. clicks. And I'm like, if I cared about clicks, I'd be positive all the time. Yeah. That's how you get the biggest Absolutely. clicks is to be a homer. Yes. Uh, you know, I'm going to give you my honest opinion. Vince is going to give you his honest opinion. And then we may be wrong, but that's what I like. And and when you take the time to spend reading our work and listening to our show, it, it truly does mean a lot. And today's, I mean, I'm trying to be professional, right? And But today has been incredibly humbling. Yes. And because of all the just the, the the chats and stuff that people have given, it's just it's just amazing. And the energy and the excitement that this, this these people have. I mean, we're, we're we've been over 200 in this chat for over an hour. And I mean, when we first got started, you know, we we're 40, 50. <laughs> Remember the first time we got to 100 it was all exciting, you know, and, and oh, I'm yeah. hoping we get even more. But it's it's so appreciative because really it's all about you all. We're an hour and 45 in because you all have great questions. Yep. You all are here. You yep. all have passion about it too. What we're trying to do is have our passion equal your passion. Yep. And that's what we're trying to bring to the table. And but we had no and we and we had no idea that that we would get to where we are even at this point. We we had a nice conversation about this yesterday. Um, you know, Brian called me on vacation. We were chatting and 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 we we not work conversation. I'm not that guy. No, we were just having a chat just about, hey, you know, who would have guessed that we would be where we're at, even at this point, you know, yeah. especially in, in June. You know what I mean? Because June is not where you grow, right? When, this- when we launched in January, I said, well, hopefully by the time the season starts, we're yeah. going to be monetized. And we got yeah. monetized yeah. in February because right. of you. You because had of you to, guys. It's, it was, it's nothing we could do. It's you get a thousand subscribers and 4,000 hours of, of watch time. And that, well, that's it not what like, you do about that, but you all it. jumped on board and it has been yeah. so much fun and so exciting. And I love the discussion because we have people that are kind of homerish on this in this channel. We have people who tend to be a little bit more negative in this channel. We have people that try to be in the middle. And and for the most awesome. part, we all we all get along. We debate, we discuss. We I mean, there's sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I didn't have to do this show because I really want to be involved in this conversation that's going on over here yeah. in the chat. Know, you know right? what I mean? There's been and some by good the ones events, over there. I'm so glad you're back because you should see me like like 10 minute pauses of trying to get through these chats to get to the thing. I'm like, man, I, I always appreciated Vince, but I appreciate you so much more now uh, than, than, than I even did for him. Like you know, my job security last week was great jobs. This past week was great job security for Vince. Yes. yes. <laughs> oh man. But thank you, Ashley. We really Very appreciate much. the comment as well. That's, that's awesome. Um, Shane O'Shea says thoughts on wide receiver. Andre green seems to have a good offer list and has an official, an official set in October. So Shane, my first thoughts on Andre green jr. Are he's very good. He's a very mm-hmm. talented player. He's from Virginia. Well, at least he plays high school ball in Virginia. I don't know if he's cause like he plays in a similar league to what, uh, CJ pro and Greer Martini and, uh, let's see what Ajavon played in, but only one of those guys is actually from Virginia. That was CJ pro Greer Martinez from North Carolina. And so, cause a lot of those are boarding schools. Okay. So I don't know if he's necessarily from Virginia, but he plays in Virginia. So obviously I like that, but no, he's big. He's six, three. He's got, he's got long arms. He's a physical pass catcher. And he's more in the CJ Williams mold than he is the Tobias Merriweather mold. You know, he's a bigger, longer guy, physical, good ball skills. Uh, but, and he's got a visit scheduled for October, but I don't think right now Notre Dame is on the top of his priority list. Now, Perhaps their name could turn up the heat in the fall if they need to. Sure. But even then, I just I think Notre Dame's behind the eight ball with him. But if he is he's one of those guys, however, that 
he seems to be wanting to take his recruitment all the way into the winter. And, you know, if Notre Dame puts a good product on the field this year and, and they miss out on, you know, Merriweather or Williams, then, yeah, turn that heat up on him. Yeah. And hopefully you have a good enough product to, you know, put on the table to get him on campus. JoJo says, I don't want to overreact, but it, but I'm very concerned. We shouldn't be losing to Oregon or Penn State, but we missed on wide receiver and O-line. What is it that we're not doing with offense? Defense, we're killing it. Closing, hey, look, right? It's closing. I don't like the fact – yes, you're right. I don't like the fact that Notre Dame lost Nicholas Singleton to Penn State, but Lou Holtz lost kids to Penn State. Charlie Weiss lost kids to Penn State. You're going to lose Pennsylvania kids to Penn State sometimes. I'm more concerned with losing like Caden Saunders and Drew Aller to Penn State, two Ohio kids, mm-hmm. than I am losing Nicholas Singleton to Penn State because I lived in Pennsylvania for for three years. I know the pressure there is, especially the Eastern Pennsylvania kids, more so than in Pittsburgh, to stay in state. Now, does that mean Notre Dame didn't do thing? Could have done things better? Yeah, they could have done things better. But you're just no matter how good of a staff you have. Notre Dame could bring Tony Alford back, go hire the best, you know, bring Harry Heastan back, go hire the best receiver recruiter in the country, and they're going to occasionally lose a kid to Penn State. It just it's from in the in, from the state, and, and you know the Oregon thing. You're you're going to lose some kids to Oregon now. Oregon's a different animal than it was when Lou Holtz was at, was at Notre Dame. You know what I mean? You're just going to lose some of those kids. It's not the one. It's like offensive line. You're going to lose kids. Harry Heastan lost kids. He lost Ben Breedison to Michigan. But the the issue is that it's becoming a pattern at these positions. That's the bigger issue than the individual losses to this school or that school. Every coach is going to lose kids. Tony yeah. Alford has lost yeah. kids at Ohio State. He just doesn't lose kids in Notre Dame. That's that's the only difference, you know. <laughs> um, but he's lost kids. He's had a down year here and there. Every coach has those. Sure. It's but 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 the anomaly needs to be the year you don't hit the home run. It can't be the year that you actually did well. That's more of the bigger concern. And and as far as what they're not doing, I just don't. I think in some it's just, it's different every time. I think Jeff Quinn puts in the work. I think Jeff Quinn is a good dude. I don't think Jeff Quinn is a closer. I don't think he has that personality to really close. I don't think he has the reputation to really to be a guy that you say, hey, you, you know, Jeff Quinn can talk to you all he wants about all the first round draft picks at Notre Dame. He didn't coach any of them, mm-hmm. right? And so no matter how much you sell it, you can't you can't. Hey, that wasn't you, you know. Right. And and so you know, and what what was the last time he was an offensive line coach? It was back in 09 at Cincinnati. Well, that that's not moving needle either. Now he did coach a first round draft pick back then, or no? Was Jason Kelsey a first round draft pick? I don't know if he was or wasn't, but he was know. at least he's a Pro Bowler. He's a top NFL sure. lineman, right? Right. But I mean, that's not moving the needle, right? Yeah. So I, I think those are things. But he just doesn't have the to me the the personality, the charisma to be a great closer. And then he it, neither did Harry. He stand, but Harry had the reputation and he had the the, yeah. the plan and, and all those kind of things. Coach Quinn doesn't have either one of those. Hopefully he does. Hopefully this year the offensive line plays great. Jared Patterson becomes a first round pick. Kane Mads an All American like everybody thinks he will be, and all of a sudden he has a little bit more of a, of a reputation there. Because again, let's not trust me. Schools are using the fact that the kids that played last year were Harry Heastand kids against Notre Dame. You know they are. They can't do that in 2021. If Notre Dame comes out and has a great offensive line this year, you can say, well, it was Harry Heastand. No. It's 100% Jeff Quinn. 100% Jeff Quinn. Good or bad. Good or bad, right? And and so that will help. If he has a good year, that's going to help him. Mm -hmm. But again, I still don't know if he has the personality to be a great closer. But that's okay. So then that knows, you know, Brian Cousins, hey, look, Jeff Quinn's a great online coach. He's going to get us in the door, but it's up to me and Tommy to close. And as long as you know that, you can live with that. 
right? Mm-hmm. If he's getting the job done as a coach. So if they have a great O-line this year, it tells me that Jeff Quinn coaches butt off. Okay, so you don't want to get rid of a guy that's a great O-line coach because I'd rather have a great coach as an offensive line guy than a great recruiter who ain't a great coach, mm-hmm. right? As I've said, you can you can have a great O-line with five pretty good players that, that are coached at a high level. So then you say, well, if we want to get those elite guys, what do we got to do? Okay, we got to get the area recruiters involved more. So if a kid's from Pennsylvania, then you uh, you have a, another coach who's got a connection there. If a kid's from Texas, okay, you have a coach who's done well in Texas there who maybe coached the safeties, but whatever, you, you're going to have him help there. The BK's got to be more involved at that position. Tommy's got to know. he, But you know, you know, hey, we got to help Coach Quinn out, right, if he coaches at a high level. The receiver thing, the running back thing, to me, I'll sacrifice an elite coach for an elite recruiter at those positions. I just, mm-hmm. I just will, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I, if I, if I had, if I had a guy that was an elite receivers r- recruiter and he was just an okay coach, I'd just go hire a really good young GA to help him out. <laughs> I mean, because <laughs> the re- recruiting talent at those positions kind of went out offensive line. You can have a, a lot of talented guys and be a bad O line. If you're not coached well, if you have really talented receivers, I'm going to nitpick your route running, but you're still going to make a lot of plays because you have talent. Mm-hmm. It's just different positions are different. Uh, you know, we have different requirements and different standards and different, you know, needs for success. And so they're all different. But at the end of the day, it's just about, you know, never question Jeff Quinn's work ethic. I'm going to be honest with you. I do have some question marks about the the, the work being put in at the, a couple of those other positions and, you know, say, hey, look, why aren't you putting as much effort into this as you are, you know, this kid? You should be doing both. That's what great recruiters do. And I think that's the bigger issue I have is maybe not recruiting the board, you know, not reading kids well. So I think Lance Taylor was in a situation where he had a chance to close on Dallin Hayden, but the tactics he chose to try and close on Dallin Hayden were the exact opposite of what he should have done. Because as you said, he didn't read the room. Mm -hmm. He didn't read the relationship that Dallin Hayden had with Tony Alford to say, this tactic is not going to work. It needs to be about what we can do for you, not, this over here and that's bad recruiting it's bad strategy that's not knowing the the situation that's not knowing the kid well enough that's yeah. just that's just bad recruiting that's happening a little bit too much on that side of the ball as well and i've seen people criticize tommy reese again tommy reese shouldn't be the one that's required to do this you know he needs to be involved but he's the sure. and, and a lot of times that these kids are losing he's the reason they're even in the game it's got to be the position coach that ultimately is is getting that one done
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.